episode 373. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and it's all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, can erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftovers, uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture leftover. Joker here, the clown prince of crime, and you're listening to my least favorite podcast, Pop Culture Leftovers. <laughs> hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the leftovers. And wow, welcome to our Zack Snyder's Justice League episode. This is a long one coming. Many years in the making, Jake. Did you ever think we'd get here? No, I mean, when we first talked about the Snyder Cut, I remember specifically saying we would never see it. Uh, the Snyder Cut didn't actually exist. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I thought, like, right away when the movie first came out. I know. Until we started hearing more things. More things started bleeding through, and it became apparent that a cut did exist. Uh, we're not alone on this one. We have a huge roundtable of guests. We have united the seven, Jake. Yes, unite <laughs> the seven. Isn't there only six? Uh, in this movie, yes, but remember the early posters all said unite the seven. Who was the seventh even in that poster? Was it Gr- us, the audience? Uh, Green Lantern, I believe. Okay. Right? Wouldn't it have been a Green Lantern? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think you are right, though. It did say Unite the Seven. Yeah, yeah. I guess we, yeah, I don't know. I guess you could say Martian Manhunter, but I was thinking it was Green Lantern. Anyway, we're joined by a roundtable of guests on this one. We've got Joe Stark from Starkcast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, how you guys doing? Happy to have you here, sir. Thrilled to fucking have you. Dan West from Brute Force and Ignorance. Welcome, Dan. Hello, guys. This is Mad. And K Hadi, we got K Hadi of visual effects. Do you want me to go over what you do? (laughs) Some days I'm not even sure what I'm doing, but yeah, I draw lines for a living. I'm a roto artist, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) We're happy to have you. We had you on our uh, tenant review, so happy to have you back talking about the Snyder Cut. We've got Jason Prevat from Fanning the Geekdom podcast. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Glad to be here. And yes, everyone, we have him, the man, the myth, the legend, the Snyder Cut fanboy, past guest, Philip, is it Philip Guillet? Have I been saying it wrong this entire time? Oh shit, you were talking about me? I thought you were talking about someone else. Yeah, yeah, you totally got it, yeah. Everyone says your name wrong, and I remember you wrote in, you wrote in one time and said, this is how you say my fucking name. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think if you get my entire life, only two people have ever gotten it like right on the first time oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. philip guillet dude i mean this wouldn't be an episode this would be like having a snyder cut movie with only two mother boxes if we didn't have you on this one <laughs> <laughs> i'm so, i mean seriously thank you so much for having me on and i cannot believe that we're actually talking about this dude like i yeah. always i always had like some bit of faith that it would eventually come out 
Like it took to about 26 years for the Richard Donner cut of Superman two to come out. Mm -hmm. It eventually did. But I mean, that took literally decades and I did not know how long it was going to take this time. But um, I just I'm so glad that I've actually seen this now and that we're actually talking about it. Oh, yeah, we're def we're going to be talking about this one. Absolutely. Before we jump into the Snyder Cut, we do have a contest uh, and it is for a movie called I did not even know that this movie existed. It's called Happily. And it's new today on digital and on demand. Joel McHale and Carrie Beach lead an all-star cast in the dark romantic comedy. Happily, the film centers on around a couple who, after 14 years of marriage, discover they begin uh, discover their friends are resentful of their constant public displays of affection. When a visit from a mysterious stranger leads to a dead body, they begin to question the loyalty of their so-called friends. You can buy or rent happily today on digital and on demand. It's rated R. It's from Paramount Pictures. And we're giving away five digital copies of this Joel McHale film, Happily. All you have to do is send me an email with the title Happily. I'm going to send out a Facebook post and a Twitter tweet about the movie. All you have to do is retweet it. Send me the screenshot to comments at Pop Culture Leftovers, title it happily, and you will be entered into the contest. This is for U.S. residents only. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Kay. Boo. I know. And okay. you'll have a chance to win a digital copy of this movie. I'll go over the winners next week for the winners of Happily. So, yeah, I didn't even know about this movie. I love Joel McHale, so I can't wait to see this one. Yeah, it really sold me on the fact that it's rated R, too. That that sounds insane. Yeah, yeah, rated R. Now, uh, yeah, so everybody, jump in on that contest, and guess what? We're doing a Falcon and Winter Soldier bonus episode, and I've got another contest for that one, so listen to that episode. It is now time for a Pop Culture Leftovers movie review. Pop Culture Leftovers movie review! All right. Jake, it's been a while since you heard that one, hasn't it, dude? <laughs> yeah, dude, that brought back the tears instantly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfless act, Bruce Wayne enlists newfound ally Diana Prince to face an even greater threat. Together, Batman and Wonder Woman work quickly to recruit a team to stand against this newly awakened enemy. Despite the formation of an unprecedented League of Heroes in Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, it may be too late to save the planet from an assault of catastrophic proportions. And, uh, yeah, like we said earlier, this has been a long time coming. They, they wrapped, uh, principal photography for, uh, for this one in, uh, April of 2016. And then months later, the Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League was shown to Warner Brothers executives and um, they basically pa went into panic mode and they felt like that the guy that they had in charge of everything was not the guy that they wanted anymore. He was going through kind of a, uh, a really, really horrible time in his life when this all started to implode after he lost his daughter Autumn to suicide and he just was too weak to really fight back with the studio to, to see his vision completed here. So they brought in Joss Whedon from the Avengers to finish this movie. 
and I mean, a lot has been coming out. A lot has been coming out. You know, the Vanity Fair article talked about how there was a private screening of the Joss Whedon cut and Christopher Nolan and, and, and Zach's wife and producer on the film, Deborah Snyder, basically came to him and they said, you can never see that movie. And, and she says it's, she knew, she knew it was going to break his heart. And the movie comes out, it makes over $600 million, but I mean, it's a huge, I mean, they spent $300, $300 million on the movie and it was just a huge loss. And a lot of fans hated it. A lot of fans liked it. Some fans loved it and it, but it was critically panned and, um, we never thought that we were going to get this movie. So, um, what, are, uh, Philip, I want to talk to you, man. What did this mean to you, dude? Like, what did this all mean to you? And, and you can tell everybody kind of like your history with this. And I mean, you are the biggest, you know, kind of like Snyder fan that I know. Like I consider myself a Zack Snyder fan, but I'm not like, I'm not on the same level as, as you and some of the other people that were really vocal on social media about this. Well, I, I think one of the, one of the, uh, things that made me passionate about it was uh had to do with this uh, the circumstances that led to snyder's dismissal um the fact that he was in the midst of mourning his his own daughter uh that he had lost to suicide and uh how what the the story that the studio like put out there that like he left of his own accord to spend time with his family um we kind of knew that the studios were already panicking um the man of steel did not do like the man of steel did great financially but it didn't do as well as they were hoping and then kind of batman versus superman was divisive to say the least and that didn't make as much money as they wanted to so at at that point i feel like they were looking for any reason to get him out and you know this goes to show you that you don't course correct when you're in the middle of a movie and that's what they tried this was um i think the most common term that i've heard is Frankenstein like that 2017's Justice League was a Frankenstein of a movie just because mm-hmm. it you know Snyder has a very particular style as does Whedon but they don't really align and I think that Clash really did not help the movie and you know knowing that uh, of what he was going through at the time and what like like genuineness and emotion he puts into his movies. Uh, This wasn't so much a movement for a particular movie, but artistic integrity in general. So that's one of the things that kind of, uh, you know, fueled my passion for this particular movement. Um, Because at the end of the day, it is a movie, but it's what it, you know, what it stands for and, um, you know, just what it what it means to him that he kind of dove into this after the passing of his daughter and how absolutely shit 
Warner was to him, mm. um, which is no, which is no, like that's not a new thing either. Like it's similar what happened to Richard Donner right after Superman one came out, like they made him miserable to the point and they actually legitimately fired him halfway through production of Superman two. So, you know, we should not be surprised that Warner was capable of this underhandedness because uh, they've been doing it for literally decades. And then they did it in the 90s with Batman. So um, I feel like some of this was coming from like enough is enough. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I'm babbling. No, 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 man. no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I What I remember from you um is when we went to C2E2 and you were dressed as black suit, uh, black black suit. suit Superman. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, raising awareness for, for suicide prevention and man, you really, I mean, you were really worried about going out there in a way, like how people were going to react. Uh, I was, it took me a few minutes before I realized like exactly how supportive it would be. Like even before we got there, I kind of made this, um, I guess like deal that for every, I guess like negative or snide comment, like, you know, get over it. It doesn't exist, which I've heard before for everyone that I hear would be the equivalent of a $5 donation to the AF at uh, the American foundation for suicide prevention. And I would just keep like a tally mark in my head and then make a, like a total donation and then have a thank you card sent this thank you card sent to the CEO of Warner. Um, I didn't really get any negativity at all, which, like I said, I should have figured going into it that it was it would be that supportive of an environment. But um, even afterwards, I'm just like, well, I, I'll make a donation anyway. And mm. so I did. And um, when they said, like, you know, do you want this in someone's you want to make this donation in someone's honor? I put it. For Autumn Snyder, and mm. as far as the note, I think I did put like hashtag release the Snyder cut, and they said, "Who do you want us to send the card to?" So I gave them Ann Sarnoff's uh, contact information. So at Warner, so she got, yeah, she got sent a card. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, what I want to ask you is like before I forget because I do not want to forget because like this is this like came into my head as I'm you know finishing up the movie. The movie wrapped up and it has in big, bold letters at the end of the movie for Autumn. How did that make you yeah. feel? Uh, I was not expecting that. And I was watching the movie the other night with my nine-year-old son. And he heard me kind of like lie, like lean back and sigh. And he said, like, what, you know, what does that mean? And I, you know, he was nine, so I didn't go into that much of it. But... I said that that is the director's daughter who had killed herself, and he um, gasped. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was extremely touching to see that at the end and very fitting. But, um, yeah, that kind of took me um, kind of took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, Philip. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, I really yeah. appreciate those words. Uh, this movie was, uh, it was rated R, uh, for why the fuck are there black bars on the side of the screen? <laughs> 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 I want to talk about, I want to talk about that before we jump in. Have you guys heard like a, a, uh, a legitimate, like convincing reason? You know, I know Deborah Snyder's talked about it. Have we heard a convincing reason as to why there are the, it's in that four by three format? 
I heard it was. I've heard two reasons. Okay. What did you hear? I've heard either A, Snyder thought it looked more like a comic book that way, or B, that's the format that fits IMAX screens the best. I've heard that. I heard heard the the IMAX thing as well. Yeah, I've heard the IMAX thing. Yeah. But bizarrely, I did actually headcanon it as being more like a graphic comic, being in that aspect ratio. Mm. So... It works for me. It's sure. It's just bizarre, though, that the first you know two movies in this series were all widescreen. So it It, made it very bizarre. Yeah, I watched Winter Soldier after I watched this for the second time, and I found it bizarre that I was watching a TV show that was filmed in four point three widescreen after watching a movie that was in with with the vertical black bars. Mm -hmm. Surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie has a uh, runtime of four hours and two minutes. Kevin Smith actually came out on Fat Man Beyond and said recently he talked with Zach and said that Zach actually has still taken out 20 minutes of this movie. And what I'm hearing is like we're, we're going to get another cut, a black and white, you know, kind of like they did the, what is it, platinum or chrome or whatever version of Mad Max Fury Road. They did a black and white version of Logan. Um, and now we're going to get a Justice is Gray version of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And looks like we're going to be getting those 20 minutes possibly in that movie. From everything that I'm minutes, hearing. 20 more minutes are being added into the black and white version? They haven't <laughs> they haven't completely come out and said that, yes. But I've heard that there's additional 20 minutes and there are additional photos that have come out showing the Joker kind of like in Arkham. Oh, the Jesus picture. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. We might get 20 additional minutes tacked on to the Justice is Gray version. <laughs> Why are people laughing at me asking that they're adding 20 more minutes? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're part of the problem, Jake. That's why. <laughs> you're part of the problem. You love your movies to be under two hours. And, I mean, if we go back and we remember, um, like, one of the things that came out after this movie, after the Joss Whedon version was released, I mean, they – you had Kevin Tsujihara, uh, who was the Warner Brothers CEO. He made – he had a mandate. He had an official mandate that he wanted the movie to be under two hours. Yeah. And so the official runtime for Justice League is one hour and 59 minutes. Even with the credits. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it's one of those things. They basically, it was like they were catering to movie theaters so that they could have the movie play as many times as possible in the theater and have more showings. And that's the thing. You've got to understand that Avengers Endgame was three hours long. They weren't worried about, like, the length of the movie. They just knew that if the movie's good, people are going to come and see it, and they're going to see it multiple times. And if it's doing good... Theaters are going to want to screen it on more screens. And so I thought that mandate was absolutely ridiculous when it came out. I just thought it was a terrible thing. And it's just a horrible precedent for like to set when you're Warner Brothers and you're claiming to be the studio, you know, the filmmaker's studio. I thought it was bullshit. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, that breeds creativity than putting the fucking artist in handcuffs to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, that's, uh, that's ridiculous. And and then to get, you know, I understand, like, what they were thinking. They panicked. They got Joss Whedon, the guy that blew up 
with the Avengers movie. But this guy has no emotional connection to anything that was filmed previously. It just seems like you're getting somebody that's just coming in there and trying to make something and without the original artist, without the original vision there. No matter, like, no matter if you like the first one or you hate it or you hate the, the Zack Snyder cut, you're not, (laughs) you're not getting what you want when you're when you're watching that original version and you're you're definitely seeing in my opinion somebody just coming in there and just trying to put something together and it just it was a, it was a complete train wreck if you ask me of a movie and i i will tell i, I there are things there is <laughs> there is one thing you know what i'll save it i'll save it i want you know what let's get into let's get into our ratings of this one all right if this is your first time listening, I want you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. We're going to be rating this one with full spoilers. I mean, if you're listening, I'm assuming that you've seen this. And if you haven't, you've been warned. So, um, I mean, I want to keep the talking points, you know, kind of to a minimum here, but, you know, uh, we'll open up the major talking points as we unpack the film. But, uh, yeah, this is your official spoiler warning for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, who do I want to start with? Jason Prevat, tell me what you thought about uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, sir. So, going in, um, so far in the Snyderverse, Man of Steel... I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a high taste it for me. Um, Batman versus Superman. Um, it was. I didn't care for it. It's a low taste it for some scenes that I can enjoy, but I mean it's borderline toss it. And um, then the Justice League movie, that theatrical release was just. Um, it, it was just copy and paste Avengers with a Marvel comic book. It felt like. So going into this, I really kind of had low expectations, and I was really blown away. I mean, this is actually going to be a Tupperware for me because um, this is really the first one in the Snyderverse that I enjoyed. Uh, the characterization of the characters were great. It was there. He was able to use that time to really build it out, and I want to go back and watch it multiple times just to catch some of the in-depth stuff that – I know that he lovingly put in there. Is it a perfect superhero movie or are my favorite versions of these DC characters? No, but as for a film itself, I can appreciate what he did and I uh, Tupperware it for that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, first, first rating is in Tupperware. So I'm going to move on to uh, Mr. Joe Stark. Stark, what'd you think, man? Yeah, I, I had kind of a weird relationship with the first movie. I, I've always been a huge DC fan. And I was I was really stoked to see that first movie. Uh, I really enjoyed Man of Steel, uh, Batman v Superman. I, I I really liked moments in that movie, and <clears throat> so you know, I was a, there was a little bit of trepidation going into Justice League, especially knowing what happened with it behind the scenes. And and that movie was very much the same for me. Like overall, like the original Justice League is pretty garbage movie. Like like what Philip was saying earlier, it is a total Frankenstein of a movie. And it, and it has that feel to it. And it had some moments that, you know, as a fan, I really enjoyed. But, you know, they, they really are kind of cheesy moments that don't fit. And it's all stuff that Whedon had added. And, and so really, after seeing the Snyder Cut now, like, 
holy shit. Like, when it first started off, and, and I went into it, like the trailers didn't impress me that much. Because I was like, whatever. I, I just got burned by Wonder Woman 84. I'm not going to get my hopes up for this. And and when it started and it, it had the you know 4-3 ratio uh, to, to preserve Zack Snyder's vision, I... I out loud, I was like, "Oh, that is some pretentious shit, dude." Well, I, you know, I used my, I used my Superman hearing, and I could literally hear <laughs> Jake's eyes rolling back into his head when I saw that on the screen. I could hear Jake's eyes rolling back into his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great sentence to to read in print on the screen, you know, coming up, and then, um, but uh, honestly, once once we were a bit into the movie. Those black bars on the side didn't even bother me. I wasn't even thinking about them. Um, this movie, honest to God, made me tear up so many times. Uh, and from from coming into it from the standpoint of I'm not going to like this, I'm not going to get my hopes up, I don't really care. To I mean, it, it won me over big time. Like I I would also Tupperware this. I, I can't believe how much better it works as like an episodic four hour event. And we're already so used to to consuming media this way. That it, it just worked. It didn't. It didn't feel like some giant endeavor to get through. Um, it had the the comic accurate moments in it, with you know, say like the Flash, you know, saving Iris, or um, even even the Wonder Woman scene. I, I like that. And having seen uh, the majority of that already in the original Justice League movie, and uh, the stuff with Cyborg with the the football game. I mean, it just had all these moments where, you know, in the original Justice League movie, it was just all just stuffed together and there was no backstory to lead up to it. And so you didn't have, I mean, you kind of had all these moments that weren't really earned. And, and in this version of it, on this longer format, it, it was very earned and, and it absolutely worked for me. And, um, the, the fact that this came about because of a social media push, I, I hope there's some sort of further push and, and enough support behind this. Cause I would love to see this continued on. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, so we're at two Tupperwares. Kay, what did you think about Zack Snyder's Justice League? It's a Tupperware for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> it actually feels, it actually feels like a proper Zack Snyder film now and like its tone and its style and all the cheesy, crappy, weed and rubbish has been like scalped out ruthlessly. Um, the, the weed and version has gone from a low taste it to kill it with fire. So, <laughs> it's not even just toss it, it's like burn it. <laughs> uh, you just turned into Ripley and Alien. You're just fucking <laughs> torching an alien right now. <laughs> Somebody make that meme of Kay as Ripley and yeah, her just torching the weed and cut. Um, so it's a Tupperware for you. Yeah, it is. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I want to, I want to hear more of your thoughts as we unpack it, but let's move on over to Dan West. Oh my God. <laughs> Dan West. What were your thoughts on Zack <laughs> Snyder's Justice League? Uh, yeah. Let me crack my knuckles. Um, no, I'm, I'm not a Zack Snyder as a director, not just the DCEU, but Zack Snyder as a director. Um, he's very hit and miss for me. I love Watchmen, um, Sucker Punch what the fuck was all that about mm. and um but um, i love man of steel hated bvs and obviously we can't really give him uh, all the credit for justice league a lot of that was joss whedon and i didn't like that either so it's um it was i didn't really kind of care too much about going into this um although i love the characters i didn't have high hopes and 
Is it a perfect movie? No. Is it a movie? Not really. It's more of a. <laughs> it's more of an epic, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So like you know, like lots of sections, like chat like with the chapters, like the six chapters and the epilogue. It's more of an epic. So you don't sort of you can't really sit down and like watch it in the cinema. You can if you had like a thirty minute break, like halfway through probably. But um, is it uh, pretentious? Um, I wouldn't. I don't think so. Um, is it self-indulgent? Definitely yes. That's why it's four hours long, for crying out loud. Some of the music choices were terrible in this movie, especially like the Aquaman, who's a king in the kingdom. Oh my God, I wanted to kill myself. But um, this film, it made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely cried at a couple of the scenes in this movie. And for the first time in a long time, uh, I was fucking fist-pumping, and the characters that I love were the characters that I love on screen. And I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I'm Tupperware this shit. Yes. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at every rating I've heard so far. I will not be shocked when I hear from Jake Elliott. I can t- promise you I will not be shocked. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not even excited to hear what you think, Jake. <laughs> I say that with all the love in the world. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe it. Dan gave it a Tupperware. I am just blown away. Um, I, the next person I'm going to get to is, I, I got to say this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hear from Philip here in a moment, but one thing that I've, that I've heard, and I, I know people have been saying it out of love. For you, Philip, and and I've heard it not just only on this podcast, but I've heard it on other podcasts where they talk about the Snyder Cut, and you know, trailers come out and ask people what they think, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm excited. I'm happy for Philip. I'm happy that Philip's happy, and that's a beautiful thing. It's friends coming together. They know that you're a big Snyder Cut fan, but they treat your relationship with this movie the same way they'd treat one of their friends that's dating a cunt." I mean, <laughs> they love you. They love you, Philip, and they're happy that you're happy, but they aren't a fan of the cunt that you're in love with. And so it, it, for me being a, I am a Snyder fan. I don't love everything he's done. I agree with Dan. I'm not like the, I did not like Sucker Punch. I wasn't a big BBS guy, but I, you know, I loved, uh, I love 300. I love Watchmen. I love Man of Steel. And to hear people say this, like, oh, you know, Snyder cut this, Snyder cut that, but I'm happy for Philip. Mm-hmm. It kind of, I'm, I am happy for you too, but it kind of drove me crazy as a Snyder fan <laughs> listening to that. <laughs> so I want to get your rating on this, Philip. What did you think about Zack Snyder's Justice League? We could pretty much skip that first part because I think you already know what it's going to be. Um, I think any, anyone who knows Anything that's going on, whatever their guess is, that's pretty much it. Um, growing up, I had been a huge, huge fan of the Christopher Reeve films, and I thought that the perfection that Christopher Reeve brought to his portrayal and how genuine um, it was, that 
was likely a major factor in why it took almost 20 years for Warner to make another one. Um, I did like Brandon Routh, and I did kind of like Superman Returns, um, but I left... I remember leaving the theater Superman Returns thinking that the torch is not really passed. When I saw The Man of Steel for the first time, um, I thought, oh, this, this is it. This the, the mantle has now been fully taken up. I loved Henry Cavill's performance. Um, I love The Man of Steel, although it does get very exhausting um, around the end with all the destruction porn. Um, and it did kind of take me out of the film because I thought that a lot of the imagery was very reminiscent of 9-11, which is very effective as far as conveying the severity. Um, but at the same time, it does hit kind of close to home. So, uh, but that being said, I did love Man of Steel, but I felt like I was winded. Like I just run a marathon after the Man of Steel. Um, I really liked Batman versus Superman. The theatrical version, but it did feel like there were some critical missing segments that were taken out. Um, uh, when I saw the R-rated three-hour, like, quote, ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, it makes a lot more sense. And it, it is objectively a better film. Um, and... One of the reasons why I love Batman versus Superman is that that is the only film that gave us the image of Bruce Wayne charging toward a collapsing building. Like he's not Batman. He's got no gadgets. He's got nothing. And at the beginning of the movie, he just charges toward it even knowing that he doesn't have anything on him. And we don't get that anywhere else. That is the only time we ever got that image. Um, and so, Jace, I think you said earlier that, like, 2017's Justice League kind of felt like a Marvel mo movie. Was that you who said that, or was that Joe? Yeah, no, that was me. That was you? Okay. Um, honestly, I wouldn't give it that much credit because I enjoyed Marvel films. Um, I think this one was trying to act like one, definitely trying to act like a Marvel movie, especially with the hiring of, of Joss Whedon. But um, the, the the jokes fell flat. All the humor felt forced. And I could not possibly give a shit any less. If it was an animated movie, it might have actually felt like it made more sense. But in 2017, when it opens up with that scene with the iPhone thing – and you can see Henry Cavill's mouth. And I remember my heart sinking in the theater. And I thought, this is how you're opening the movie. Like, And you can see his the way his mouth is moving. I knew about Mustache Gate going in. And I knew that they had spent literally tens, uh, not literally tens, no, I think like between 13 to 15 million just for the mustache alone. And that monumental failure was front and center before the opening credits. So that was my first indication that like, this is not his movie and it said directed by Zack Snyder at the, at the end of the opening credits. And I'm just like, I, I, I hope so, but so far I'm not buying it. So the justice league was a total toss it for me. This I absolutely loved. It felt like it, it felt like, 
you're seeing friends that you haven't seen for years and at the same time you've met, never met. So it was like homecoming to a place you've never actually been to before. Um, just seeing Ben Affleck and how he looked back in 2016 because he unfortunately had a had a, a relapse afterwards, which is another way you can tell in the 2017 versions that you can tell that his face is noticeably bloated, even with going back in the same scene. So it was nice to see him, um, uh, you know, looking like that again. Uh, it was nice to have a villain that I genuinely feared. Like I feared Zod um, and Steppenwolf. I mean, he sounded like he grunted and he sounded like a charging bull and he was shot with arrows and his armor just clipped him off. He could catch arrows in midair um, and he sounded alien, just inhuman. And I loved that I was I almost felt like I was genuinely afraid for my own safety, like whenever Steppenwolf was on scene and Desaad's voice, like it, how you know he's speaking English and it's a man's voice but at the same time there's something alien and Ray Porter as well so it's like not only was it fine did it finally meant that we were getting this again and yes the movie did take its time and even a couple of scenes I'm just like oh okay okay oh, oh. all right okay cut cut okay okay um I, I think I think the most obvious scene was that was the when Aquaman swims away and you have all the women singing and one of them is even like sniffing his his sweater just like okay that that could have been cut 30 seconds earlier um but i i just loved having a villain that i was genuinely afraid of and i thought like how are they going to do this like how is the justice league going to like how are they going to win and like even with avengers endgame like i was totally into it and swept and i was nervous but at the same time I had no doubt that Thanos would be taken down. With this one, I did not know, and I loved that I was genuinely afraid for for the the hero. So yes, uh, I admit I'm still in shiny. I still have shiny new toy syndrome, and maybe in like a month or six months, maybe my feelings will change. Um, <laughs> But Batman versus Superman, my I like I grew to love that film, especially with the Ultimate Edition. So um, my feelings may intensify and they may dwindle, but um, I'm aware that the novelty of this is is influencing my reaction right now. So yeah, <laughs> I'll cut. Oh no, you're fine. So you're giving the, this is a Tupperware for you. Yes. All right. All right. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Awesome. Uh, I'll go. I'll. I'll. I'll go next. Um, yeah. I may, watching this. I kept thinking to myself, like, is this movie going to be hampered by the fact that we've <laughs> that we got a a horrible version of this that spoils you know some of the scenes that we see in the original version and um, of. Uh, of Josh Whedon's cut. Like, you know, there's a lot of action scenes that we had seen before and to revisit these scenes, is, is it, is it going to be cohesive? Are we going to feel differently about these scenes? And I, I really was super blown away by the, 
the character development and everything by the time you do get to those action scenes, you actually care about like what's happening in this movie. They, they really, they promised that they were going to give us more story about, you know, uh, Victor Stone. And they, I feel like they really delivered on that, man. I really do. I feel like they really delivered here in this movie, making me care about the relationship of Victor Stone, not only with his father, but also the fact that, you know, like his mother died in that car accident as well. Something that like really I didn't feel was touched at all in the, in the Joss Whedon cut. Like there's, there's a, such a subtle scene when the car's getting ready to hit them in that car accident that takes his life that he reaches out to like protect his mother in that scene. And it's just like, well, you, you don't get that in a Whedon cut. You get none of that stuff. Um, we got a lot more, I feel like from, the Amazons and Themyscira and, you know, the mother missing Diana. Um, you got a lot more with Aquaman in this one. You got way more, way more dedicated to, like, how the Earth, how the world, how these heroes are all mourning the death of Superman. I feel like that that was kind of glossed over in the Joss Whedon version. And... um when we do get these action scenes, I think they're pulled off way better. The whole color palette of this movie is so much better, in my opinion, too. Um, yeah. It just looks so much better. And it's a lot of the same scenes, but you can look at them side by side. And it's just like it's day and night difference. And um, I do like the Junkie XL score way more than the Danny Elfman score. And mm-hmm. I think it hits a lot better, um, <laughs> especially in the scenes with Superman, man. They're, it's really fucking cool hearing that Man of Steel music, the Man of Steel theme in this movie. I give this, I love this movie. I give it a Tupperware. I, I was blown away by this movie. It made me care. And it really felt like all the stuff that we had gripes about, I feel like in Batman v Superman with like the nightmare dreams and the parademons and all that stuff, he really does have a vision for this. And you can totally see it, whether you like it or not, whether you like where it's going or where you don't, if you don't, it's cohesive. You can see where it's going now. Those nightmare visions that Batman's having, you know, back in Batman v Superman in this movie, it's all going somewhere, whether you like that or not. I happen to think, you know, (laughs) I happen to think that, you know, Aquaman's always telling Batman that he's fucking crazy. I think that Zack Snyder's crazy for doing what he's doing in these movies, but man, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm strapped in for the ride and I'm really enjoying this crazy take. And here's the thing. It might not be the versions of these characters that you want, but this is the, Zack Snyder is a fan and he is bringing some stories that we've seen in other comics. He's, he's, he is a, he's a fan of some of the source material and he just chooses what he likes and what he does. And a lot of fans don't like that. And I get it. I get that. But for me, I just kind of think of this as like, well, you know, this is his crack at it and this is his vision and I'm having fun watching it, man. I I know we're going to unpack and talk about like the the nightmare scene that we got in this one, but my God, it was fucking nuts. And I was just like, man, I kind of want to see more of this. I talked about this movie. I had a blast watching it. The four hours didn't bother me. I've seen it twice. I've started it a third time. It, It doesn't bother me at all. This is a movie that I will continue to go back to. Um, but now for all, everyone listening, you've heard us all gush about this movie and we've loved it. Now we're going to, we're going to hear from Jake Elliott. (laughs) And right now everyone listening is basically Princess Leia saying, Jake, help us. You're our only hope. 
And so Jake, you have the, you have the floor. Man, everyone Tupperware, this movie, I, I'm incredibly nervous to talk about it now. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan. I'm very much a Zack Snyder detractor. Um, I hated man of steel. I dislike Batman v Superman anymore. Uh, justice league. I mean, even Zack Snyder fans will agree because of the circumstances was potentially the worst movie of last decade. I mean, just a bunch of fucking bullshit. I, I just couldn't believe how bad it was. Um, so, yeah, I went into this going, I didn't like the Josh Whedon version, but I'm not sure how Zack Snyder can make a better movie by doubling the length of that. So I, I was very trepidatious going into this, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, this is easily my favorite Zack Snyder DC Universe movie. Um, I liked it way more than Man of Steel. I liked it way more than BVS. But, I mean, I wouldn't be Jake if I didn't have some complaints about a Zack Snyder movie. And I wouldn't be Jake if I didn't complain about the four-hour length of this movie. <laughs> it did. It was a tad too long for me. It did feel needlessly long. Um, I agree that it did help with a lot of things. The action sequence at the end was so much more impactful because of the buildup we got from it. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the plot's still the same, even with all the extra length. It's still a MacGuffin box fetch quest. Um, I will give it that they do a better job of explaining their MacGuffin boxes than Episode Nine Star Wars does of explaining <laughs> their MacGuffin box fetch quest bullshit. So props to that. Um, I do, you know, Zack Snyder did say Cyborg was the heart of this movie and that completely got cut out of the Whedon version. And that is true. Cyborg was probably my favorite part of this movie. Um, the parts that hit me emotionally were definitely with Cyborg. Um, a real standout scene to me was near the beginning when he crushes the tape player right before his father is going to give him fatherly advice. I was just like, oh, damn, this dude is hurting so bad that he just does not give a shit, just crush. And that that really just hit me hard. Um, you know, I've had family issues where I didn't get along. Not, nothing as extreme as Cyborg, obviously, but still moments where I weren't talking to family members for extended periods of time. So I could completely relate with, I don't even want to hear what you have to say in this moment. I thought the stuff with him and his father was very powerful. Um, I, I still don't like Ben Affleck as Batman. It still just stands out like a sore thumb to me. I, I just can never swallow it. Um, that's my own hangup, but it is what it is. Still not the biggest Henry Cavill fan. Um, Gal Gadot is, is very fine in this. I thought Ezra Miller does a good job of, giving this some levity that most Zack Snyder comic book movies don't have. Uh, both him and Cyborg and Aquaman all kind of lend their hand to just give it a little bit more cheer and goodwill than you see in the previous movies. Um, even though I complained about the four hours here, I did think it, I was surprised at how brisk it moved. Four hours of this movie felt like less time than three hours of BVS Ultimate Edition. So I appreciated that. Um, I'm also very happy that they got rid of the random Russian family bullshit that was in the Josh Whedon version. That, yeah. I, I couldn't believe that was gone. I was, I thought we were going to get more of that with four hours and the fact that it was completely gone. I, I cheer at that and I'm not completely heartless, man. I really welled up and tears came from my eyes when that, I was not expecting the autumn dedication at the end. And that was just like a smack to the face. I, 
this is a solid taste it for me. Um, if you saw the Josh Whedon version, you owe it to yourself to see this. It is such an apology for that awful, awful movie. And I was pleasantly surprised that I, I enjoyed this as much as I did. Um, not a Tupperware for me. Zack Snyder just isn't my thing. Um, I did not like the saturated coloring effect that's kind of as Zack Snyder staple. I am very excited for the black and white version, and I will watch that again. I, I think that will do this a lot of favors. I think a lot of the imagery will be even more standoutish in the black and white cut. So, yeah, I like it. Just the saturated color. They go to like eight different locations in this movie. And because of the way it's colored, all the locations might have well have been the same location to me. Like, I, I could barely tell Gotham City from Capital City, from from ever, from Metropolis. Like, it just, it makes it all look the same and gives it all that diluted color look. And I didn't like that at all. I think black and white may be the way to go for this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I got a lot more to say, but I'm sure we're going to unpack this thing. I'm sorry to ruin a Tupperware party. But I did enjoy this movie a lot more than I expected to, honestly. We wouldn't have expected anything less, sir. You know, you know, Brian, when you said earlier we're all like Princess Leia, yeah. uh, my first thought was I feel like Princess Leia about to watch Alderaan get blown up. <laughs> <laughs> that is honestly where my mind went to. And, and throughout there, like the look on Carrie Fisher's face as she watches Alderaan blow up, like that's what I was inside. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just so long. Like, Steppenwolf, for the second time, telling Desaad the exact same shit he told Desaad yeah. the first time. I'm like, come on, y'all. We can make some cuts here. Was, this could be a high taste to a Tupperware if they'd made some hard 60-minute cuts. I don't even remember Desaad in the... in the Joss Whedon cut. He wasn't. He wasn't. No, involved. no. But I'm just... In this cut, when we're having Steppenwolf talk after he gets the second MacGuffin box and he's telling Desaad the exact same shit he told him when he got the first MacGuffin box, I was like, okay, okay, okay. We get it. Oh, you're thinking like he's like the boss from Office Space and he's following up on the TPS reports. Like, where are they? <laughs> yeah. Jake's like it was like the same dialogue. It, it could have been the same. Since it was 100% an effect shot, it could have been the same effect shot. With these same lines of dialogue, it, it was insane. I, I I I'm so happy that they. I'm so happy. First off, I want to say like I'm so happy that um, that you didn't toss it. I guess, but then even if you did, it would have made this podcast that more that much more interesting. To, to talk oh, I mean, about I, I taste it, and I I am still <laughs> right here to complain about a ton of shit. The 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 only thing. Oh, did I lose you guys? Hello. Did I lose everyone? I'm back. I'm back. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Is everybody here? I was like, damn, they hung up on me. No, I, lo I lost everybody. <laughs> um, the whole, the whole, like, uh, fight scene with, uh, Steppenwolf fighting the old gods, the Atlanteans, the, uh, you know, the, the, the lanterns, the, the Amazonians, I mean, that whole scene from the Whedon version didn't feature Darkseid at all. And like in this version, we get Darkseid basically doing what Steppenwolf was doing in the Whedon cut. I, I really appreciated that quite a bit. And I know like it has like it's Lord of the Rings kind of like similarities, you know, like 
you know, we're going to give the boxes to, you know, the humans and the, and the Themyscirans and, and just kind of like in the Lord of the Rings where they give the rings to like the dwarves, the humans and the elves. And it's all, but I don't know. I, there was something just about having dark side in that battle that just made it that much more impactful. And I want to say that Steppenwolf, for as much as we did complain about the way he looks, even in this version, he does look 10 times better than he did in the Whedon version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 10 yeah, times better. I like better. the redesign a lot. The, yeah, the redesign was so much better. Um, I guess let's talk about... He was like the worst-looking Gwar member in the original movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. I think that that helmet made him uh, – I kept thinking of Pippi Longstocking, like that helmet looked like Pippi. <laughs> the, new, the new one, how like metallic he is and how it looks like he's yeah. got like a – I want a Steppenwolf bottle opener with like – I want to crack open a bottle with his fucking helmet. So, <laughs> so bad. The new one looked like if Thanos and Ultron fucked and had a kid to me. It looked like it looked like he had a bunch of staples on his body. Like a, <laughs> yeah, that too. Like a stapler accident. Um, let's talk about one of the scenes that was like left out of the Whedon version that I was surprised to see in this one was the whole Iris West scene with Kiersey Clemens. And honestly, I laughed out loud during this scene where he's going in and he's going to, you know, going in for the job interview to be a dog walker and take care of these dogs. And, you know, Iris gets in the car almost gets in the wreck and we see like man we see him when he when he goes into super speed his fucking shoes rip off of his feet that's how fast he's going we see his fucking shoes get ripped off and the fact that he took the hot dog and i was like why is he taking a hot dog in this moment and then there's this hilarious in my opinion hilarious payoff when he goes back in and he's calming the dogs down with the with the hot dog meat. I laughed so hard at that. I had to go back and watch it a second time. I thought it was just, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was very funny. And one of those scenes that was left out of the Whedon cut that I think like maybe would have endeared us a little bit more to, you know, Ezra Miller's The Flash going Mm -hmm. forward. I think it was a huge mistake to take that out of the movie. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, as far as Flash goes, he's the character that I like the least as far as his characterization went he was he was so kooky it's like you know i've read flash comics for years but he was so like i don't know he was just like seemed a little bit off in his sense of humor but it didn't matter in the end to me because of all the shit that he fucking did in the film i was like i can forgive that but it's funny you bring this one up first because this was the first scene in the movie that made me cry because it was like the combination of the music and him being so gentle with Iris and slowly folding her hands to like get her in the right position so he can catch her. Cause we all know the thing of, you know, if the flash grabs someone that's going to break their spine or whatever, you know, we've all, we all know the, the physics of superheroes and things like that. But to see him sort of like, like see her face and he brushes her hair out of the way and he just like gently folds her arms and, <laughs> The hot dog thing, oh, I was like, but that's a bit fucking inappropriate. <laughs> like, the symbolism. And then, of course, it pays off in a joke. And I was like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. But, yeah, that, that whole bit, because it was... That's the one thing about the four-hour runtime, is you get the time... Zach gave the scenes the time they needed to breathe. And the, the moments that he wanted to pay off, like, really paid off. And this was... 
one of the first ones for me. It's the one that sticks out in my memory the most. So mm. cool, him like pushing the glass and it like changing to liquid almost because he's hitting it so fast. Yeah. And then it exploding. But yeah, just like just the care that he took to save this woman. Yes. And then uh, that was it. That was I was like, oh my god, dude, I had tears streaming down my face. I'm in complete agreement because if you watch the Whedon cut, there's that scene where you know the the Russian family is in the truck and he's getting ready to like get them out of harm's way, and he pushes the truck at like super speed. And after that's yeah. done, I'm saying to myself out loud, that whole family is dead. Like, (laughs) he just snapped everyone in that truck's neck. They are all dead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it was, this was one thing about this movie that I, that I really loved was that like every single character, every single Justice League member, they had their moments that they weren't given in the Joss cut. And like the flash was even more of a buffoon in the Joss cut. And Batman was fucking useless in the Joss cut. And, and, and Cyborg got no time. And, but in this, like we had the time and everyone had these amazing moments. And, and yeah, for flash was such a great scene. Loved it. Well, and then, okay, let's talk about, you know, um, no, go ahead. Kay. What did you have to say there? No, no, I, I really like that scene as well because I think with if Joss had done that scene, it would have come across a lot creepier than. <laughs> for sure, because Weedon sure. likes to insert himself into a narrative. This is why Xander and Buffy is very goofy, and I think he just took the Flash and turned him into a version of Xander that he could relate to, but mm. we couldn't. So, I agree. I, agree. I loved the what condition of Flash's resume. When he pulled it out. Oh, there. he's like, he's yeah. like, yeah. he's talking about the pocket monster being hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought one that was hilarious. That I really appreciated about the flash in this one is that in the Whedon cut, he's very, he's way more timid and he, and he's not willing to, to really go out of that shell and, and rescue people. I mean, Batman has to give him a fucking pep talk about, about going and yes. know, rescuing one person. Well, yeah. where in this one, you know, we see him right away. He's not only going to play the hero, he's going to bust out a damn shop window and, mm. and do it. And so I, I just felt like the, like to, to kind of piggyback on what Dan was saying, each character got their own moment and it played out so beautifully. And I love what they did with the Flash for this one because they did, they made him more of a hero in this one and not just somebody who has a lot of powers and is on his journey to being a hero in a very real way. He's already a hero in this. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, he's got a freaking suit. Yeah. Why didn't he have a suit yeah. in the first one already if he was too afraid to be a hero? Yeah, basically they're allowed to emote in this version it's not smacking you in the face with expositional dialogue all the time i just i loved we talk about cyborg and you know you know jake brought up the fact that you know snyder said like you know cyborg's going to be the heart of this movie and not only do we get like you know all the scenes with his you know you know mom and 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 his father but like one of the scenes with his mother that really stood out to me was, and it was more backstory for Victor, was that, you know, he's being brought into like the dean of the, of the college that he's at. And she's talking about how his close friend Sarah lost her house and that Victor hacked into the system so that she'd pass because the school wasn't going to let her take time off. They were just going to let her fail. And she's dealing with like all these personal, you know, family issues that are going on. So Victor, having the big heart that he has hacked into the system, not to be malicious or do anything like totally terrible. He did it to help out a friend. And we're learning about that, about how, how, even though like this guy 
his father doesn't go to his games, doesn't spend any time with them. He's got such a huge heart, such a big heart. And he got that from his mother. And then the fact that we see later on in this movie, a scene that was completely taken out of the weed and cut as well, helping that woman, that random woman pay her bills. And he puts a hundred thousand dollars in her account. And I, and he's, and he's doing this as cyborg. And I, I thought that that was just like, these are the things that like, I don't know what the original Snyder cut length would have been had it came out two out two and a half hours two hours 40 minutes i don't know but the fact that we're able to get four hours here first off i'm going to just say that this is a win for him to be able to make a four hour epic movie like this after the fucking mandate by the old ceo saying that you can only have an two a movie that's less than two hours it's a huge win i'll take that I'll take that. And, but man, we did, we got so much more cyborg in this movie. And it really, it really hurts me now that I feel like Ray Fisher's kind of like with him speaking out, he's kind of put a mark on him. And I see, I see a lot of studios not wanting to work with this guy now because they think, Oh, if we're going to work with this guy, he might cause problems. This guy might only have a future making Zack Snyder movies for the, you know, in, in the future here. Um, but um I don't know. What did you guys think about all of the all of the new cyborg stuff that they put in this movie? Jason, I haven't heard from you in a while. What did you think? Well, yeah, I was actually sitting there thinking about, you know, that scene. And he went back and actually did some sh- shots for this movie, right? For the Snyder Cut. Was there additional shots done? There were, but like I'm I'm hearing that it was only um that it was only like the the Jared Leto stuff at the end. But I'm not 100 okay. percent sure. It wasn't. It wasn't as much as we'd think. Maybe, maybe 20 minutes max, or maybe even less than that. Yeah, well, there's definitely a few extra Ezra Miller ones because he was directed. He was on the set of Fantastic Beasts, and Zack Snyder was directing him through an iPad. Okay, okay. Because they couldn't be in the same location. Wow. So wow. Because if you think about that scene with Cyborg's mom and, and talking to the you know, principal or the, um, you know, head of the uh, university, it almost parallels Snyder and Warner Brothers. I mean, if you put Sarah as Snyder, Snyder's dealing with the death of his daughter, and then here comes Cyborg hacking in to get him a pass. Here you have the Internet rallying behind to get his movie out there. Oh, wow. Like, part of me almost wonders, like, was this a thank you to the fans? Yeah, I, I never even considered that. I never even considered that. I can see that lining up. <laughs> yeah, because because I'm sitting there because when I'm I'm watching that and and you know I'm watching this whole thing with that whole preference of what this director went through and that this is his, you know, finally again to just make something good out of a horrible moment in his life. Mm -hmm. And here you have this story that wasn't anywhere in the original Whedon version that just parallels so well what he was going through. And, um, you know, and it it was the technology superhero. It was the internet based superhero that we see later that, that did it. Just, uh, I just really said, well, you know what? Even if he didn't do it afterwards, it just lines up perfectly serendipitous. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's just uh, really cool to think about that. 
I think that that was actually filmed back in 2016. I think that that was original scene. I did get that same impression though with the when he goes into the digital bank and he sees the the woman who's the waitress and that she's getting an eviction notice. Mm-hmm. I think that 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 also was originally filmed back in 2016. Um but it resonates very very differently. Uh, today and I did kind of think that that might have been a parallel for him and that again cyborg using the power of of the internet you know increases his well increases her wealth and um, you know in a sense you know rescues her Um, I think both were original um, scenes uh, the original cut of the film was three and a half hours. So this being four hours and two minutes, about 30 minutes of additional footage was shot. Uh, the nightmare scene at the end was one of them. Um, also the scene with um, Martha Kent and Lois Lane and she becomes the Martian Manhunter. That was filmed. That was new. As well, and honestly, yeah. Philip, I'm going to jump in here. That's one of my biggest. That is a big problem that I have with this movie. I felt like that stuff didn't need to be in there. Martian Manhunter in this movie just didn't make sense uh, to me. It, ob- obvious fan service. You're right. Obvious fan service. That the scene at the end with the Martian Manhunter was originally supposed to be with the Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. So they they obviously they kept the dialogue. They kept well. They kept most of. The dialogue consistent, um, but they just substituted one one character for another. Um, I, I was wondering how that scene was going to play out. I'd heard that it was Kilowog and Tomaray, um, and then I heard recently it was supposed to be John Stewart. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, just looking, judging by Ben Affleck's eyeline, it, it's it's. I think it's now it's more evident that there was just one character he was conversing with and not two. So I think the John Stewart one is more plausible. Um, and I think that that scene was supposed to be taking place at night as well. But yeah, any, any scenes with Harry Lennox was shot specifically for this. Um, the, the, um, extra death stroke scenes at, but basically the entire nightmare scene at the end was filmed specifically for this. I, I always thought, and I, I, if I go back and remember like the old fat man beyond episode with Kevin Smith, and maybe somebody can correct me here, but like, didn't he say like that in that original trailer that we had where, you know, Alfred is saying, Alfred. you know, um, you know, yeah, uh, he said you might come and we saw a green green. Yeah. I thought that that was going to be the scene originally was going to be the green lantern scene. Uh, that's what I thought too, and even uh, I only heard it from Kevin Smith and no one else. Yeah, yeah, same. But like those two, and those two guys I talk. Still so. see it. Yeah, I still see a green reflection in his glasses, and I am still unless you know uh, we could hear from some official source that no, that was never the case until I get that. I I will still have some sense that that might have been originally filmed with a lantern. I agree. And first off, I want to say I really enjoyed Alfred in this movie quite a bit more than I've ever enjoyed Jeremy Irons as Alfred in the previous iteration of this film. 
I agree with that. Mm-hmm. A lot of really standout scenes with characters that weren't Batman. It was mm-hmm. cool seeing them with Wonder Woman, Superman, yeah. Flash. Uh, just neat interactions with all the other league members. My biggest problem with Ben Affleck in the previous version is it felt he felt like if he felt like a Batman that was super out of place in this. Like he yeah, he's still like the Nick Fury bringing them all together, but like when they fought like in the big battles, I felt like this guy was like really not doing as much as I wanted to see Batman do, you know, uh with these other heroes that like have these abilities and and he was a joke to me. Ben Affleck's mm-hmm. Batman was a joke to me in the Whedon version. And in this one, yeah. man alive, they gave him so much more. In my opinion, they gave him so much more to work with, especially in the the last act where they're having the big battle at the end. In the Whedon version, they keep cutting back to Batman, and he's just holding a gun and just shooting and talking to the other heroes. And smiling. And smiling. And in this one... He is running around. He's getting on that fucking alien turret. He's actually doing some things that are helping, uh, the heroes as they're, you know, battling the parademons and as they're getting ready to have their final battle with Steppenwolf. And man, it just felt like a completely different Batman that wasn't like out of his league. You know, here's a guy forming the Justice League. He, and he basically is just like, that's all he is. I felt like he was just a recruiter in the Whedon version. And in this one, I felt like he was more of a leader and more of a tactician. And I mean, even in the Whedon version, when they bring down like the big dome that Steppenwolf had up, first off, the dome is a completely different color. It's just down to stupid little things like that. The dome in the Whedon version is a blue color. And in this one, it's like a, it's like a kind of like a WandaVision magic scarlet witch red and he just shoots at it and gets inside of it and in this one he blasts it it closes up and then he brings out more firepower and he's able to get inside and that whole action sequence it felt like it was extended where he's in the batmobile and it just looked so much better the action was so much more smooth and batman just seemed like more of a badass in this version than he did in the original Whedon version, I was very happy. I'm not the biggest Batfleck fan, but I was much more happy with his portrayal and the way they depicted him in this as opposed to the Whedon version. Yeah, I'd yeah. agree. We definitely yeah. got to see him do so much more in this. I mean, every time I see Batman use his grappling gun to grab something and then swing it at somebody, like that's – yeah, I mean, because I think that – like. In BVS, that was maybe the first time we really saw Batman do that in that warehouse fight scene. And he did, you know, quite a bit of that in this and, you know, using his different gadgets. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I've, I've always liked Ben Affleck's Batman just because he's a huge. And and that was really the only complaint I ever had about Christian Bale's Batman is just that he's so slender. that it, it was, I don't know, I, I, I like a... Give me a beefcake, Batman. <laughs> See, yeah, I think that's, I think, I think that's, that's where we differ. I like a leader, Batman. <laughs> 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 yeah, I see. See, for me, I think uh, Christian Bell was the weakest part of the Dark Knight trilogy. I loved everything else about those movies, but Christian Bell, I actually, Ben Affleck's turned out to be one of my favorite Batman to be on screen. Um, and like, you know, kind of mentioned earlier where, you know, in Batman versus Superman, you see him as Bruce Wayne running to the, you know, the falling tower, you know, like, I think that's what wins me over is when he gets to play Bruce Wayne properly, Mm. I think he does a great job at it. And, and with what he was able to do in, 
for all the flaws that Batman versus Superman had, you got to see him be a tactician. I, I loved that part. But then in this movie, you get to see him not only you know be a great Bruce Wayne, but you get to see him be a Batman that's getting that hope back mm-hmm. and and you know pulling this team together. And you know that just really resonated with me. And um, you know he's he's up there in probably the top three um, with uh, Michael Keaton and um, you know um, oh, Kevin uh, Conroy from. Um, Batman the Animated Series. No love for Adam West. Wow, Jason. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no the, love. No. If, if he didn't dance so much, it'd be all right. But, you know, that dance, it just kills it. Yeah, the, the one, the, there is, there's one scene that was in the Whedon cut with, with Ben Affleck's Batman that they did not put in this that I really did appreciate. And it's the scene where he's talking to Alfred. And he's, I think he's talking to Alfred. And he's talking about how Superman is more of a human than he is. And I thought that that, that scene is, that's the, that's the only scene from the Whedon cut that I felt like was kind of like missing in this one. That Batman is starting to get his human, humanity back, but we, he's more human than he is. And he was raised here. He was raised by Ma Kent and, and, uh, that we need him. He's more human than, than he, Superman is more human than Bruce Wayne is what he's basically saying in that moment, his love for humanity. And I thought that that was like one of the most powerful scenes in the Whedon cut that didn't make it into this movie. That's my only kind of like, that's the only thing about the Whedon cut that I thought was good that they did not have in this movie. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Yeah. No loss. Yeah. No, I think Snyder relates to Batman a lot. He's, he gets him. It's it's a consistent version of Batman because it's always Snyder. Um, it's the same with um, Wonder Woman, that she was so unrecognizable in the Whedon cut. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Snyder and Jenkins actually consulted with each other about how one, what Wonder Woman's path would be so that her movies would be consistent with his so they can still make their own movie and have a consistent character across her. It's collaborative, which is how it's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, I think... Yeah, you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. What about that action scene with her blocking the bullets? Oh, so good. Mm. That was crazy. Yeah. I was shocked that she killed that terrorist in front of all those kids. See, oh, and, yeah. like, <laughs> here's the thing. Everybody, everybody is like, there are people freaking out over on the internet about her killing that guy. And they got to understand that it's only Superman and Batman that have a no kill code. Wonder Woman doesn't have, even in the comic books, she doesn't have a no kill code. I mean, she's she, a yeah. fucking Amazonian. Thank you. Out loud. And yeah. she was like braining dudes against walls, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, he wow. wasn't the first guy to die there. <laughs> he was like yeah. the sixth. <laughs> well, I mean. Yeah, because I, w- I went back and had a watch of the uh, that scene from the, the Whedon cut because I wanted to sort of like have a look to see how different everything was. And, you know, the, the dialogue was even hokier as well. Like he said, the terrorist like, who are you? And she goes, I'm a believer. And you're just like believer of what exactly you know <laughs> it was a little random just to say i'm a believer it's right just, no doesn't that scene cut away too when she's when she hits her gauntlets together like it it's never yeah. actually stated it, it, it it's up to interpretation if he died or not but 
that is where the scene cuts, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, I think it yes, does, yeah. Exactly yeah. where it cuts. You do not know whether or not that character died. That motherfucker's dead. Guy. That dude's oh, dead. Yeah. Hundo. <laughs> it blew it it blew the bricks out of the back of that building. That dude is dead. Yeah, yeah those I, fucking cops underneath, man. I think she should have probably thought about them a little bit, but you know, it was still fucking awesome. She's she's yeah, a, just to be clear, I'm not complaining that she did that, but I, I am just stating that I was very shocked. Yeah. I was not expecting that at all. I mean, yeah, I, and um, just a little Easter egg. I don't know if you guys know that the uh, the Statue of Justice. Uh, who that is? Do you know who that is? The one Wonder Woman seen standing on when she yeah. first shows up. No, I, so don't, I do not. Uh, it's uh, it, her name is um, Themis, as in oh. Themyscira. So Themis is, was a Titan in Greek mythology, and she's like, she's basically the god of justice. And yeah, her name is Themis. So Themyscira. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so this, everybody freaking out on the internet about Diana killing that guy. I mean, it's, she's always tried to be nonviolent and try to be a pacifist, but she's also a warrior. And if there's no other way to stop a threat, she's going to kill. And this guy was shooting at children. Shooting at children, yeah. And she killed Ludendorff, didn't she? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, still here, by the way. Was it a cut? Are you guys still there? I'm here. Yes. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. thinking. You talk, you're she talking re- about the guy in the first Wonder Woman L- movie? In Ludendorff. Yeah, she re- didn't she run him through with her sword? I got I got to watch that again. I, I, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't I remember. The final fight's the part that I, I remember the least, too. She yeah. was thinking he was Ares, right? She thought he was Ares, yeah. And That's right. Through, I, I and think she, then, she killed him. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I've never blinked about Wonder Woman killing people. I mean, if you have a character that runs around with a sword, it's like, yeah, they're probably going to kill people with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to hit you with the flat of the sword. Yeah, <laughs> if you're going to do that, you carry around like a like a staff or something. Well, right? even even Captain America in the first you know first Avenger when he was in World War uh, Two had a gun. We see him shooting a yeah. gun with the Howling Commandos. I mean, he's in Winter Soldier. He's running around kicking people into comas. Right. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things. She is the God Killer, too. I mean, that's her name, the God Killer. I want to know what you guys thought, because it was was really odd, because we've had so many movies come out since Justice League. But it was like we're getting scenes of, like, Arthur pre-taking the throne, and we're yeah. seeing all this stuff again. Was it awkward for you guys to see all these moments again and then have to kind of like remind yourself like, okay, this is Arthur Curry before the events of Aquaman. Like he's, oh, yeah, that didn't throw me for a loop at all. Like I, I already re- knew that this was pre Aquaman and, and I like the way that they explored that more because they, it filled in and then having, you know, seen Aquaman before that, you know, it was pretty cool that. You know, oh, this is you know he's having these conversations with with Velko then, and and it seemed like it was almost more of like a first time meeting Mira, which was kind of cool. And and I felt like, you know, it wasn't so heavy handed that it wouldn't work if you hadn't seen Aquaman. But you know, it was just kind of like a, a nice treat if you had seen Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Atlantis I have not seen look- Aquaman, and these these would have been cuts for me. No, <laughs> well, Atlantis <laughs> didn't look quite as uh, quite as nice in the the Aquaman film, did it? Really, <laughs> in this one, it was very dark and dingy. But you know, 
that's what we expect from a from a Snyder movie. Well, but, uh, they, they, they got a they got a new filtration system by the time we got to the <laughs> the James Wan yeah, version. Fish food in there. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was that was because uh, I mean, obviously, it was like one of the first scenes that we have Batman going to meet Aquaman in the Norwegian village, not Norwegian um, Icelandic village, and that was my one of my first fist pump moments was when um, he was talking to Arthur, you know, and talking to the leader of the village and everything through him. And in the Whedon cut, <laughs> he's like uh. asking where he is. Who's this man that comes on the King's Tide, blah, 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 blah. And then in the Whedon cut, he like looks up to this mural. Yes. Has a, a thing that looks <laughs> yeah. exactly like him. And then, and then Batman puts it together. And I remember when I first watched <laughs> it, I was yelling at the, at the telly going, he fucking saw him on the fucking navy footage that he had in the file at the end of BVS yes he, did, he saw his face and I was just like did we did not watch the first bloody the, the, watch BVS and in this he goes in and you know from the way that Bruce is talking to Arthur that he knows that it's him already because yeah. he fucking knows what he looks like <laughs> so yeah that was a fist pump moment because I was like oh my god they're sorting out the problems that I hated so much in the other one I agree and, man okay. that stood out like that stood out like a sore thumb in the weed and cut man and like that it was terrible. It was so awesome that they left that fucking mural out of the back wall. <laughs> I do agree yeah. with Philip though that they could have left out the Icelandic singers, the Cohen brothers Bjork moment at the end there. Yeah. They could've Dan that said that and he had an amazing rendition of the song as well. <laughs> oh, that was Dan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I admit, if if I had Jason Momoa's shirt, I would probably sniff it as well. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, that guy's good looking. I tried to see if I could buy that fucking sweater for you on eBay, if it was up there, but it's not available yet, Dan. Oh, I was going to, yeah. Thanks for trying, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that could be your, thought it could be your new spanker chef, man. <laughs> I would never soil it. It would remain in like a vacuum sealed bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, in the just... microwave for seven and a half seconds, and it feels like he just took it off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but this was that was just one example, and it happened multiple times throughout this film that there was exposition and problems with the Whedon cut that they fixed. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I don't, I honestly don't remember if I was on the Justice League episode with you guys, but I remember. <laughs> Brian and Jake especially talking about how when the, in the beginning of the Whedon version, like the parademon is splattered against that like brick wall at the top of that roof by yeah, Batman. And yeah. it's innards change into the three mother boxes. <laughs> like, we didn't get any of that insane, like insane bullshit exposition in this. Like the, the plot unfolded really gradually. And like one of my friends who hasn't seen the original version is watching this and he absolutely loves this film because everything's a surprise to him. And he doesn't, you know, didn't know about the mother boxes or mm. what's going to happen at the end. And he was, he was like, Oh, it's really, it's like, it's long, but it's really good. Like the, the pacing of like how the plot is revealed. And I was like, I oh, know it's so much better than the other one. It's fucking ridiculous. What, what, what they did with the parademons in this one too, as opposed to the original, the, the, in the original, there's this whole thing where, the parademons smell fear. And so by the end, when Steppenwolf is getting his ass handed to him, Aquaman's like, do you smell that? 
And then, and then Wonder Woman's like, yeah, it's what the rock is cooking. No, I'm kidding. But she's like, she's like, he's like, Aquaman says, do you smell that? And then we're supposed to remember that, oh yeah, the parademons smell fear. Steppenwolf's afraid the parademons are going to attack him now. And it was so lame. And in this movie, that's not brought up. The parademons are just supposed to be – they basically are just supposed to instill fear into people. They're scary looking. And that's yeah. all – it's never even said that they smell fear. And I was so happy that we got proper parademons uh, that were handled well in this movie as opposed to the, the Whedonverse uh, a version of this where it was like, do you smell that? It's fear. And <laughs> – so bad. So fucking dumb. There was a lot of great fixes from the Whedon version. I remember one of the moments that me and you made fun of the most on the original podcast was when Flash and Batman just leave the fucking mother box on top of the oh roof. Yeah. And they look up and they're like, oh, we forgot it. And then Steppenwolf <laughs> just shows up and he's like, yoink, I have the last <laughs> box now. I was so thankful that they left that dumb shit out. And they left um, out, they left out the, uh, the fact that the flash had to create that electrical charge and touch the mother box at the exact same moment that oh, the box I, touches the fluid. I have that written down too. Less is more. The whole Superman resurrection is just handled so much better. Um, especially the reasoning for it in mm. the, in the Josh Whedon version, they had this stupid fucking argument between, um, I guess not argument, but, Batman and Wonder Woman were like, I don't know if we can be the leader of the Justice League. I don't think we're good enough people to be leader of the Justice League. We, you know, we have to resurrect Superman because he's the only one fit to be leader. And it made so much more sense that they had to resurrect him because he was the only one that could kick Steppenwolf's ass. It's, it's yeah. a much simpler and it just makes so much more sense. And it, it weakened both Wonder Woman and Batman in that original version yeah. that neither of yeah. them could fucking grab their fucking shit and be like we're the leader i remember actually you saying about that scene and i totally agree with you which was in the original version uh there are no stakes because it doesn't matter if he flash fucks up touches the box and it's too late or too early because he just reset it and do it again so (laughs) but do you know what i mean do you remember remember saying yeah 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 yeah. Is so, is that true though? Is that true though? And I want to bring this up. In both versions, are we meant to believe that if well, you're no, you're 100% right. If they don't charge that box correctly, the box isn't awakened yet and they won't know the and Steppenwolf and the Parademons won't know the location of it. So you can just reset. Yeah, exactly. So in the original there were no stakes and in this version they never really talk about that whole exact moment bullshit thing and the stakes were actually like them having the argument and but also especially Cyborg having those premonitions when he's attached to the mother box and he basically says like, you know, he deals out like no, don't do it. Um, as Flash comes in, because he's seen the future, almost like the Injustice uh, yeah, yeah. Superman. So he sees that. So we're having like we're having two different um, like buildings of uh, suspense throughout that scene, as well as the resurrection. So we're all looking forward to Superman coming back to life, but also there's all this other stuff going on in the background. It's not a, a will he, won't he hit the box at the right time. It doesn't fucking matter anyway. I'll just reset it. <laughs> well, it's and then they also... Cyborgus in the end of the world. <laughs> and, and also, it like as Flash is moving so fast, he is messing with time. We do see the photo coming out of the fluid. And yeah, it's backing up. It and then that... So- 
dude, that totally comes into play at the end of the movie where he's Mm -hmm. basically reversing time. They took that whole part out so we could get the Russian family. And that is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Can I talk about that photo real quick though? I thought it was completely disrespectful of Aquaman and the flash. Like the guy is in the coffin holding that photo and they can't even take care that it doesn't just fall into the fucking water and get ruined. <laughs> what do you what do you what do you want what you want Wonder Woman to start scrapbooking for him while this is happening, Jake? Someone to put it in their pocket. Don't let the mother <laughs> the guy was buried with it. Don't let it get ruined. I'm sure I'm I sure really uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I really like the fact that they open with Superman's death cry waking the boxes. Oh yes. God! Yes, and I think that that was it. Tied everything really nicely together. Well, and then like first off, we saw like the cry go from like yeah. it, it went from the humans, it went to the Atlanteans, it went to Themyscira, and all those boxes started to kind of like realize that yeah, the hero's gone. Let's let's bring on the baddies now. That's the reason yeah, but, that they had. They say that the boxes were afraid of him, and that's yes. why they never worked before. And now that he's gone. And you were like, yeah, this all makes sense now. This this big circle of of meaning. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really think that they did a really good job with that as well because it, some um, since some people say that it's stupid, but it obviously depends what your taste is or whatever. But that fucking like horrible like dissonant ringing out of like the voice and that like shook me because I fucking love Superman, you know, and like seeing his like death throes being projected across the world with that weird like reverb they put on it, that strange echoing, mm. you know, um, mm. effect. It was horrible to watch, but like in a good way, you know, it made me feel like, oh God, it like hurt my stomach. I was like, God, oh, this is fucked up. And this is how we're starting. But like you said, it, it, that like moment, which actually made me feel something right at the beginning also lends itself to the plot it's man yeah and i don't i just think this film is great but you know there are problems as well there's i think there's too much slow-mo there's a lot of they'd probably (laughs) get a bit about half an hour shorter if they'd actually kind of just crank a little bit back and for me there's two scenes that that i didn't need when um alfred was teaching wonder woman how to make tea and obviously, bringing, being English, I think that's an incredibly important piece of information. But it did the, <laughs> but the film didn't need film didn't need it. And for me, the epilogue, the the very last bit of the epilogue with um, uh, like Batman and not not Martian, a little bit before that, the whole you know end of the world bit. I don't think we needed that. That was I think that was just to get Jared Leto in there as the Joker. And I fucking hate his Joker. It doesn't matter what he does. I think he's terrible. I just didn't. I didn't like that scene at all. But aside from those two bits, uh, there's not really much that I would want cut out of this at all. I've, I enjoyed everything. I love that part, man. That fucking <laughs> that, that fucking Mad Max shit going on, and they're just worried about Superman showing up. Oh my god! I fucking I love the whole uh, the whole uh, Batman and Joker talking with one another. I mean, th- we hadn't seen that before, and I was just so happy to hear, like, you know, fucking Joker's just taunting him and saying, <laughs> you know, everybody's dying. You've had, and he talks about the Robin that dies in his arms, and we know that yeah. it was Dick that died. 
and uh man and batman's like you better be careful with the next words that come out of your mouth and and then uh <laughs> the fact that the fact that batman comes back and says yeah i was there when harley quinn died in my arms and i was just like oh shit oh shit and he and then dra- batman drops the f-bomb like he's gonna fucking kill him and i'm just like oh my god this is just so <laughs> bizarre and out there that i fucking love it because it's I know, I so crazy i've seen it dude yeah yeah I thought that scene would have been a bit more powerful if it wasn't so obvious that it was filmed at two different times. Like, we were never able to get that shot with both Batman and the Joker in the same shot, giving each other the stare down. It was always the super close-up on Joker talking that really just kind of threw me out of the fantasy and made me think about the filmmaking more than the actual plot. Yeah, I think for me, the script, the actual writing for that scene, I liked the the words. I thought that the script was good. But I just think Jared Leto is terrible as a Joker. And he's nothing like he is in Suicide Squad in this particular scene. But he's more of like, um, the way that I kind of read it was, he was almost like an amalgamation of all of them. He was like going through his own voice and into the kind of Heath Ledger voice. And, you know, his looks completely different as well, except for like the SWAT um, outfit he had on the end of Suicide Squad. And I just, it was like, he he hasn't, made that role his own because the, the his first interpretation was it of it was so terrible and it's like he was trying to kind of embody all the jokers that have been by changing his voice throughout this particular monologue and then putting in the fucking horrible laugh that he does but i just, <laughs> I just don't I, he's, I just don't think he's not He's not the Joker. He's just terrible. I just don't. I don't get it. But again, um, people go, "Why are you bitching about the film?" If you Tupperware it in the PCL ratings, I the PCL ratings for me is my enjoyment of a film. I could be a critic and a cynic all I like, but this film fucking hit home for me. It was, uh, you know, I, I say to a lot of people on this call, like how how much I've. Uh, how how I don't enjoy things and that I'm I'm getting annoyed with stuff and this like just brought superhero movies back for me and it was it was great but yeah, it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with it there's definitely stuff wrong with it I, okay okay it, Joe it sounds like you like this scene it sounds like it, it sounds like I want to hear from you because it sounds like that you like this scene I don't mind the Jared Leto laugh to be quite honest with you it's kind of it's just it's kind of weird it's like <laughs> It's like I, I didn't. My point exactly. I, I didn't. I didn't mind it. But here's the thing. Like I wanted to know. I want to know. More, like you know, Mira's talking about. Like I want to get back at him from what he, for what he did to Arthur. So like Superman killed Aquaman. Like that happened. We've got you know in the previous scene we just saw how fucking you know um, uh, uh, Wade Wilson. Um, <laughs> blanking. I'm wanting to say Deadshot, and it's not Deadshot. Deathstroke. Slade Wilson. Slade, Slade Wilson. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, we just saw him being, like, recruited by Lex Luthor, and now he's, like, working with them, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? Joe, what did you think about this, man? Okay. Um, yeah, I love that scene. I, I will absolutely agree that it was completely unnecessary for the movie. And it didn't need to be there at all. And if we end up getting no follow-ups after this, this is the scene that's going to haunt my dreams for years to come. Because <laughs> it was wild. I didn't expect to get any of that. I'm I'm somewhat familiar with the Injustice storyline, just like some of the bullet points of it. I'm, I'm not much of a gamer, so I've never played it. And I, I've never sought out the comics. But, but I know roughly that it's this 
storyline where where Superman goes evil because of the death of Lois Lane, and then the other heroes kind of are are have to. Some of the heroes form strange alliances with the villains. Even yeah, I think uh, some of the other heroes I, go evil. From what I remember, Superman punches Joker straight through the chest and kills him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it's got some fucking wild stuff in it. And it seemed like from the beginning, Zack Snyder was really obsessed with this storyline. And and but this this scene here was so cool. Um that conversation between Batman and the Joker was chilling because I've read so many Batman comics, man. I mean, Batman was really the 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 character that brought me into the comics from the beginning. So I've always paid extra special attention to whenever Batman's in any of these movies. And just that conversation between him and the Joker was chilling with, with the Joker intentionally knowing what to say that's going to get under his skin the most. And then Batman just being like, like, you know, someday when I kill you and make mo- no mistake, I will fucking kill you. And it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> and, and then that makes me think of, you know, like, like, like Dark Knight Returns in that comic where where Batman and Joker have that huge fight at the end in the tunnel of love mm-hmm. and Batman saying, you know, I've known from the beginning there's nothing that I can't fix with, you know, there's nothing on you that I can't just fix with my fists. And like at the end like he's going to beat him to death and then even then, even then in that comic he can't do it and kill him and then the Joker breaks his own neck to do it. Oh, and, and like and then just seeing that conversation, you know, on the big screen, you know, big screen on my, my TV in my living room, <laughs> but, you know, like seeing that play out in live action and like, Dan, I'm with you on, on Jared Letter's Joker. If you want to, if we want to rank all of them, like, I don't like it at all. I think this is a little step up from suicide because at least now he had all those silly tattoos and everything covered up. Um, and just, I don't know, the desperation of seeing that we have a team that that Batman has to team up with the Joker and Brian, what you were saying with the they they hint at this backstory of you know oh my gosh Superman and Aquaman I mean that had to have been a huge fight sure to begin with I yeah. mean just because I mean if you if you think about it if, if Aquaman can go to the bottom you know of the Marianas Trench you know his skin is so dense I mean his skin has got to be nearly as dense as Superman's I mean so that had to have been a Titanic fight like I would I love mean, to see a, a version of Zack Snyder's you know, play out in a cinematic way with all that. And then the, the fact that Deathstroke and Batman are teamed up together. I mean, Deathstroke is already nearly as like smart and tactically genius as Batman is. And so for those two to be teamed up together, I mean, that could be really legendary. Mm-hmm. One of the things with this whole, what you're saying about how um, she said, oh yeah, he killed Arthur and all the rest of it. What that was one of the things I didn't understand because in Cyborg's premonitions, it's Darkseid that kills Arthur because you see it happen. And in uh, the scene where Superman is flying over the crumpled remains of the Hall of Justice, you actually see the truce card that Joker gives Batman right at the end. You see that torn in half and it flies past the camera. So I don't know whether or not... I'm assuming this is just like multiple realities, multiple possibilities or something. But that was something that just stuck out in my head. She was like, he killed Arthur. And I was like, no, he didn't. And then, and then they give, gives him the truth card at the the truth card at the end. And that, that's flown past the camera in that scene where you, I think you see killer wolf dead on the ground, but it's, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. That's why it kind of like threw me that Joker's there at the end, because you sit there and think that you're going with the injustice story 
where Joker killed Lois Lane, but it looks like in Cyborg's vision, uh, Superman's holding a charred Lois Lane <clears throat> in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And that um, from some of the things I've read online about what Snyder's vision for Justice League 2 and 3 was, that it was dark side finding the anti-life equation and corrupting Superman with it. So what, so that brings me into like, okay, the Joker's there and they say they have to have the Joker to do their plan. But what kind of key is the Joker that, you know, they need to get the anti-life equation out of Batman, uh, out of Superman. Yeah. It's weird, man. If I said it's, you know, there's there's a lot of you know we know comics. So it's fucking millions <laughs> of realities and stuff. So, but yeah, it's uh, that was yeah same as that. It was there's, there's just a couple of things that didn't marry up. But again, is another reason why I would love to see the continuation of this series. Yeah, because was, I'm sure he would look, like lay it out straight, lay out the bag of snakes for us. Especially after how the movie ended. Now, uh, we I, like I feel like I have blue balls. Like we have to get. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get a sequel to this now. And the thing is, I've known for, well, literally years now, how it ended. I knew about the boom tube. I knew about the severed head and the foot stomping. And that Darkseid and the Justice League see each other. And it was basically the film ending with them saying, uh, he's still out there. we got to take the fight to him. So... Snyder's original version of this was always going to end in somewhat of a cliffhanger. And when the movie got announced, I did wonder, like, how are they going to address the ending? Because a sequel is obviously contingent upon the success. So I thought either dreams will come true, the movie will be a big success and we'll get Justice League 2 and 3 – or it would just be moderate and it's going to end on a permanently unresolved cliffhanger. And now it has. So I'm saying like I'm like I'm, I've already started campaigning on Twitter for Restore the Snyderverse. Um, I loved the Joker part. Um, it's hard for me to parse my feelings toward the Joker in Suicide Squad from my feelings toward Jared Leto because there is method acting and then there is what he did, which anyone else, anywhere else, that is an emergency HR meeting, like the the, the extent of the twisted shit that he did. Did you guys hear that? Uh, you know, he he sent used condoms to the cast and crew. Yeah. Oh, this is yeah. Jared yeah. Leto. Yeah. Yeah. Leto. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I'm okay. About so, that. Yeah. So and that's from him himself too. That's not speculation. Like he he said that in an interview. So given that extent of I guess simultaneous dedication and inappropriateness, it's hard for me to really look at Leto's Suicide Squad Joker. Objectively, and that, but that being said, he was clearly done dirty by the excessive post production editing of that movie, too. I do not believe he was given a fair enough chance. 
Um, honestly, I in Suicide Squad, I did like what I saw. I think Leto gave a there's a vacant emptiness behind his eyes that I didn't really ever get with any other Joker. And when I saw him again in this, um, you know, with the tattoos removed and the long hair, he looked like there was nothing there. And I was, for the second time, like I was nervous. And I love that a villain was able to invoke that response, that even knowing that this is a an actor playing a character in a film on a t- on a TV and I'm in no way shape or form being threatened I still feel like I'm threatened he just and I I'm hoping that Justice League 2 would be able to continue that um I do kind of feel like this was somewhat of a redemption um I would love to see what David Ayer's original Suicide Squad, um, what it looked like, what it involved. Originally, Steppenwolf was going to be in there, in that, but it was changed to Incubus. Um, originally, the Joker had a much larger role that was just hacked to pieces, and what was left was cartoonish. Um, I mean, call me curious, if nothing else, but I, I did feel this was a bit of a redemption. Um so, by the way, I don't want to pick at nits. Um, from what I remember of the injustice, it was actually Superman that killed Lois. So the what? Joker, yes. So the Joker convinced he got Scarecrow. It was the Scarecrow toxin, right? The fear toxin. Yeah. And Superman thought she was Doomsday. So he saw, you know, he basically like walked into a room. He saw what he thought was Doomsday, and he punched, quote, him through the stomach, not knowing that it was actually Lois and not knowing and also not knowing that she was actually pregnant with Superman's baby. So then when, you know, the confetti and the balloons like, surprise, we got you. And the Joker is out laughing. Superman, I I think he still has like Lois's blood on her, too. Um, I think he either in some versions, he either threw her out into space or he punched her now. But yeah. he punch he punches through the Joker too, so it, that was one of the reasons why the Injustice storyline is so simultaneously fucked up and powerful. It's because it's act it was actually Superman that killed Lois. Oh man, that's what, yeah. It says it here that Superman yeah. uh, Joker gave Superman a dose of kryptonite and fear gas mixture, and that's that's how he fucking god jesus that is horrible <laughs> well we see in this like when she went okay the ver- different uh the differences in the whedon version and in this is in the whedon version she does go back to work in a limited capacity and in this version she hasn't worked a day at the planet and we do see her open up that drawer and there's a pregnancy test in there yeah when does this take place by the way does it is it like a month or two after? Like I'm still fuzzy on the timeline. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. 
Obviously, it's right after BVS during the opening, but it does feel like some time passes after yeah. that. Yeah, well, she's been going to the memorial for many days. We get the shot of, uh, we see the original Jimmy Olsen as like the police officer and she gets him coffee and she's been going yeah, there. Terry. Yeah, she's been giving him, she's been going there every day. And so I just don't know how much, I don't know how much time has passed. I would guess two or three months. It doesn't seem like it's definitely not like a year or anything drastic like that, but it's definitely more than a week. Yeah. Yeah. Cause isn't it like a year in the, in the Whedon one, but I, cause it's, if I'm remembering correctly, it shows like newspaper clippings or something like, you know, it's been a year ago since, or it's been a year now since the death of Superman. Well, it's not, we didn't get anything like that. in this. It's not nine months because she'd be, we'd be able to see her, you know, pregnant, you know? So, it, we, yeah, I like the name of the pregnancy test as well, which is force, force majeure. majeure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was just a bit on the nose for yeah. me. That was like, it was funny, man. It was yeah. funny. <laughs> Sorry, if no one knows what that means, it means unforeseen circumstance. I, so. I thought it, I thought it meant I thought it meant a, a force of nature. Oh, it does, yeah. It also means like superior strength. It's a French <laughs> French saying. So yeah, but, yeah. The, the main the main translation is unforeseen circumstance. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty pretty funny French saying. But yeah, there's loads of there's so many cool little things like that in this film as well that we didn't get in the Whedon cut. Like uh, there's uh, in the when Cyborg, one of the first times we see him, he's looking out the window and there is um. There's like a, a a picture which is the front cover of um oh what is it called um Franz oh, sake I've got it here Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis book which is about a, a a guy who basically changes into a giant cockroach who thinks that he's a monster so that's like in a picture on the wall next to Cyborg as he's looking out like pl- looking at all the other sort of people in the street play and stuff like that there's just loads of little like really nice artistic you know, like nods and winks and stuff throughout that you know you don't you don't see very often nowadays. It's it was really cool, a lot deeper than a lot of people give it credit for. Let's we've been going for a while here. Let's take a quick break, and then honestly, I was going to just say, guys, we've got so many people on this fucking podcast. Just break when you want to. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> I have been. Okay. You know what? Let's do that, guys. Just take a break when you want to. We'll just keep it going. I do want to talk about yeah. Just leave. And if I call your name and I don't hear you, I know you've stepped away. Um, <laughs> let, I want to, you know, uh, we talked about Cyborg and we talked about how much this movie gives him more depth. And I think like one of the biggest things in this for me was kind of like um, there was there's a, a, a big healing moment for that character in this that was completely lost on the Whedon version. And it's when he it's it's when he is brought into the unity. So the three mother boxes, when they combine, they can, they, they form the unity and he, he is, he is brought into the unity and we see him inside there. And, uh, he sees a mother box version of himself and it's him with his mother and his father. And we know that the mother boxes can bring things back. We had like this whole discussion of how like, you know, the mother, you know, if you burn a house down, all you're left with is the smoke and the mother box can basically take that smoke and bring it back. And like, that's how they were able to bring back Superman back from the dead. 
Well, he's inside the mother box. He sees himself with his parents. He's fully back together. And the mother box, as Victor Stone says, we can put you back together. We can make you whole. And he fucking says, I'm not broken. And I was yeah. just like, oh my God, that was it's so much more impactful, so much more powerful than what we got in the weed and stuff. And then I want to know you guys thoughts on that. But I also want to talk about a little bit of his character afterwards. Just remind me because, but I want to hear what you guys think about like that whole scene. Cause I thought that that was super well done. Yeah, that yeah. was a, a huge, like emotional payoff that, you know, I mean, that was the the beautiful you know ending to this whole cyborg story that we got you know in this version of it but i mean we didn't get it in 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 Whedon's version the the wustest wig <laughs> I, I wish i'd never <laughs> fucking seen that <laughs> the, the justice wig <laughs> the justice wig there you go <laughs> i mean, quite honestly dude if i could like erase that version of the movie from my mind and make it so that I'd never ever seen it before. Like I've been reading posts online of people being like, you know, I never saw the original justice league. I jumped in on this and I'm so jealous of those people. I wish I could have their (laughs) experience with it. It, Yeah, dude, if I could figure out how to go into my, my voodoo account and erase that original digital copy of justice league, I would. (laughs) Or like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yourself. Exactly. Just <laughs> yeah. Be gone. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I said, kill it with fire. <laughs> yep. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. What a great line. What a great line from for Cyborg there. Fucking. Oh man, it just hits it again. Just like parts of the script, just like and just nail on the head. You don't need any more than that. It was just a brilliant moment. So Jake brought up earlier, he's listening to like the Sony cassette player. He doesn't want to listen to what his father has to tell him as a father, as opposed to a scientist. Mm. And he crushes the cassette player at the end of the movie. Does Cyborg now have powers of the mother box since he became part of the unity since he was you know jumped into the unity? We see him restore the cassette player. Does he now have powers of the mother box? Well, that I'm pretty sure that's for me. Well, and I, I think that that's kind of the way that Cyborg's power works in the comics is that, you know, he was created from a mother box. So, I mean, his his powers more or less work similar to it. Um, and yeah. I, I was shocked seeing that at the end, that he was able to just put it back together. But that's just kind of how I wrapped it up in my head. Are there that, different? Oh, OK, are, yeah, he's made from mother box technology, so he must be able to do that with. I don't know. How wide open is that? Are there different versions of his origin from like the 52 to like the other one where it's like, you know, the mother box in one and then the, in the other version, it's like just nanotechnology. Every version of cyborgs that I've seen, it's always been a mother box because it's like he's created, he's augmented with apocalypse technology. Yeah. I mean, I, I just saw it as, you know, he can, um, you know, mend tech because it's only a tape recorder. It's not like it's organic or anything. So you can just shh and just make it make it what he wanted it to be again. Yeah, I was kind of shocked he was able like to reform it. You know, I I figured he was just going to read the magnetic tape because really, well, I mean, that cool. magnetic tape's still there, and it's just a series of ones and zeros, so he should be able to process it. Oh, dude, wouldn't it have been amazing if he had read the magnetic tape and he saw a vision of his dad in his own head? That'd be fucking <laughs> sick. 
been cool. That would have been awesome. Do it like the old PI move, like he holds it up, like he's almost looking through the light. Oh, so <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I um, wish that scene wouldn't have happened. I like the absoluteness of him destroying the uh, tape player, and it was a little bit of a, a buyback to me that he was able to bring it right back. Yeah, no, I understand that, man. It was very, like, a final sort of fuck you, basically. But then with the character development throughout the course of the film and his dad sacrificing himself to mark the box, I figured that it was, I thought it was a nice little, you know, growth of character. But I do understand that it does put a damper on that exact moment because it's he, yeah, so He should final. have to suffer from the decision he made regardless of the character growth, in my opinion. Yeah, mm. no, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Yeah. Um, do you guys know the uh, mother box code Easter egg as well? Yeah, six one ninety two. Yep. Isn't that? That's um, uh, the. It, it was his first appearance. It's the issue. Uh, it's the comic issue of his first appearance, or is it a date? No, yeah, we got it right the first time. Yeah, it's the first issue that Cyborg was in explaining his origins. The uh, June nineteen eighty two. So that's pretty cool. Again, lots of little things going on. One of the things that went on in this movie that didn't go on in the Whedon version was the inclusion of Ryan Choi, portrayed oh. by Zenkai, who in the comics, he was the assistant to um, Victor Stone's father in this movie. And he talked, he has, a, he has a quick line at the end of the movie where he's like, you know, he's, you know, he's worked with nanotechnology and stuff like that. And so he becomes the second Adam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because in the comics, he was—is um, it—is uh, uh, it Richard Palmer? Yeah, it was Ray, the original Ray, Ray, Ray Palmer. Palmer. Ray Palmer. Ray Palmer. Yeah, yeah. He was Ray Palmer's assistant in the comics. Yeah, and this was a character. Um, Ryan Choi was created by Gail Simone, who's been raving about this movie because her character—I think she loves it—but she's also got to be very happy that her creation. Um, made it into this movie. A lot of people were giving credit to Grant Morrison creating the character. That is not true. It's 100% Gail Simone. No. I thought that character had a really funny moment at the beginning of the movie when he uh, said that that was a line that he said to his prom date mm-hmm. about the, uh, the hot stuff line. <laughs> I think it gave me a chuckle. She said she, and she dumped me anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! If I mean, for as edge lord as Zack Snyder is, at least you know the guy's got a sense of humor, and the little moments of levity—they're uh, just so nice. It's nice to sort of like see these characters have a, a bit of a sense of humor at points. It's not all. Yes, the color scheme is very dark and dingy, but you know the actual character interactions and stuff. We got there's a, a lot of stuff to laugh about in this film, which is fun. It's just like bring it back, bring bring it back to fun, but also have a consistent tone throughout the whole film. It's yeah really good what did you guys think about the scene where fucking mira is going up against steppenwolf and we think like he's just gonna beat her down and she starts oh. sucking the moisture out of his oh, fucking yeah. face yeah that was so good that's what's so rad about her powers is that you know she's got that like aqua kinesis or something like that mm-hmm. i don't know if that's the cur- what it sounds good dude kinesis. it sounds good yeah yeah it's it's rad i mean that's the sort of fucked up shit she could do is that if you piss mira off I mean, she could dehydrate you, and when you're 70% water and you start losing that fast, 
I mean, you're going to look yeah. like that guy who chooses poorly at the end of Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. She essentially blood-bended him out of fucking Aang the Avatar. She just, oh, that was so cool. There's not enough Gatorade on hand to save you when she's going to fuck you. You know what I mean? <laughs> not enough electrolytes. <laughs> But again, like another character, you know, sort of didn't get to shine very much, and just like the moments that everybody had, and that was that was a really good one because it, yeah, just shows you that she's not to be fucked with, not to be fucked with. Did you guys notice that she had a completely different accent in this accent. film? Accent, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, she was suddenly English. <laughs> Weird. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, same dialogue too, but. Like in the scenes that she shared from the original, but for some reason British accent all of a sudden. Hmm. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know if it was if it was ADR or if it was you know the original. I don't know. Don't know what the what the take was, but yeah, very. It, it was an interesting choice. I I understand why they probably did it because you know she's royalty and, and that. So I figured that that might kind of you know we've got royalty, but. Yeah, it was. I just it was weird. It really stood out to me. I was like, "Oh, what the fuck?" <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I wonder what the Aquaman. mandate was there. Yeah, it was weird. They were like, you know, they were like Wanda did it in that in the Age of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when yeah. Mira gets mad, oh boy, watch out for that accent. <laughs> <laughs> I did like how in this movie they gave a lot more backstory to the mother box that was you know protected by the humans. Like, you know, it, Agreed. it got buried. The Nazis found it. And this makes sense because, like, Hitler was looking for this kind of shit, you know. Uh, historically, yeah. he was looking for this kind of stuff. The Nazis found it. The Allies intercepted it. And then it was basically stored away in a storage unit for, like, you know, for the government for, like, 70 years before uh, Victor Stone's father got a hold of it. So I thought that, that you know, it happened very quickly. But I just think that they did a better job of explaining where this mother box came from. When it went through that that little montage and it was showing, you know, the Amazons, you know, building this really elaborate temple around it that, you know, we, we see not only crash in on itself, but also crash into the ocean. And we see the, the Atlanteans, like at first they have it in some big pit that's like guarded by all the, you know, some monster with a bunch of tentacles or something like that. And then they put it in some big structure and then it shows the box with men and they're like, Hmm, <laughs> we, we bury it in shallow grave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, way to go, it. guys. That's it. Cast it in metal and then put it in the ground. <laughs> they buried in, a hole in that's the like three feet deep. Oh my god! Can you? I, I want to see like Zack Snyder's notes on like the the Amazonians, and it, it, it one of the notes might be more abs. My God! I mean, wow. The the and he look at three hundred. I mean, it's just like this guy yeah. loves the abdominal muscles, and the, I, I I never get tired of seeing the um the the Amazonians that have the giant hammers and they knock out the pins. Yes, all the doors. Those went fucking hell. Yeah. It's just like, that's where slow motion comes in. Just like, oh, smash, and just knocking out the pins to close the fucking temple down. That's so badass. That was awesome. That was super that awesome. The scene was so much better in this go because in the, in the original theatrical release, I mean, she like did not hesitate one bit. It's like she didn't even think twice about her decision on killing all the Amazonians and, and destroying that temple, but 
she there was real gravity felt with her decision in this version. Uh, I thought that was a much better scene. Totally, with the way they let it breathe. Yeah, man, definitely. And there's there's a lot of that in in the whole film. Like this, the stakes just seem so much higher in this version. Um, yeah. Like the the um, but that bit especially, like getting getting the mother box away from Steppenwolf as well, and you know he's just fucking slaughtering people, and then you have that, like all the Amazonians like fighting back just as hard. It is fucking bad ass watching the the Amazonians just fucking destroying shit, and like when they're all like like piling on him to stop him from grabbing it, and it's just ugh, I, I I just. It's nice to see, like, you know, the like the warrior race, like, really being fucking warriors. Because, like most of us here, not to say everybody, because I don't know, but not big fans of Wonder Woman, the new one. And, um, because I didn't even have a sword and a shield in this new one. And in, in, in this, it's just, like, back to that Wonder Woman and all the Themyscarians just kicking ass non-stop and didn't fucking matter if they were you know not throwing their life away but they were like you know just attacking and just trying to stop this guy it was so cool what about and, and, what about steppenwolf yeah. taunting wonder woman later in the movie saying like oh you could dick. you could have been there and i killed your amazonian sisters and that your mother begged for her life and all this other bullshit and she's like liar and i'm just like yeah. oh my this guy this guy is an evil fuck <laughs> Yeah, man. And she, but she fucking knew as well. She called him out. It's bullshit. She was like, "You're a fucking liar," and I love that. That was awesome. Oh, God. <laughs> Did anyone watch this movie with subtitles? Yes. Yeah. Um, every time Wonder Woman shows up, if you watch this movie with subtitles, it says "Ancient Lamenting Music Plays." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I kept chuckling about that too. Yeah, very funny. A scene that's done so much better in this version, and I know I've been saying this the whole time, just like this scene's better, this scene's better, and people are probably just getting sick of me saying that. But a scene that is done a way better in this movie was the confrontation between Superman and Batman, where, you know, Superman's resurrected, you know, we got shirtless Superman, and he's fucking going right at Bruce, and he's making his way, he fucking headbutts Diana, and then (laughs) raises off the ground, fucking, you know, throws it to the ground again. And he gets up, he gets up to Bruce. In the original, in the original Whedon version, he picks Batman up off the ground and he's getting ready to crush his head. And then he fucking uses the line, do you bleed? And then, and then knocks, you know, Superman (laughs) knocks him to the ground and everything. And then Batman, (laughs) you know, brings out Lois and then they show Batman on the ground and he's like, yeah, something is definitely bleeding. Like, ha, 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 ha. And in this one, they completely <laughs> leave that out. We've got Batman throwing up, like, those gauntlets that he's got on his arms. And Superman's burning them off one at a time. And that's when Lois is brought out. And that's when we see kind of, like, Superman kind of click, like, come back. And uh, slowly start to come back. I just thought that, that was so much so much more impactful. They left out the stupid do you bleed line. They left out the stupid, yeah, something is definitely bleeding joke. And I just, I just felt like it had a lot more weight seeing Lois come out in this one and do what she did and, and, and those two taken off together. 
Yeah, it made a lot was, more sense yeah. why Lois was there in this version. Uh, in the Whedon version, yeah. it's like they went on a big fetch, fetch quest for Lois, and it made it just so obvious how this was going to all pan out. But in this one, Lois was there for a much more natural reason, because that's where she went every day to mourn Clark. And it just was, it just flowed so much better than the, oh, we have to go fetch Lois to stop Superman. Right. Scene, which was real ham-fisted in the original. Well, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that, dude. Because in this one, it was more natural. In the other one, it's like Bruce is saying, you know, like Alfred bringing the big gun, and it's like if if you're confronting Superman, why aren't you starting with Lois there? Why? And also, why is Lois being like, "Yeah, I'll wait in the car." Oh, that's Clark over there. It looks like you guys are having a problem with him. I'm going to wait here till you call me. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, way more natural in this. And and also her undying love for him that eventually saves him because she's going there every day because she loves him. And that's what ends up bringing him back from whatever dark place he was in. Mm-hmm. And that was the last point. time she was going to be doing that as well. Yeah, that's right. Because she, the, the police was always said, yeah, this is the last time. So she was just about ready to move on, which made it uh, a bit more poignant. Mm-hmm. And the use of the that cave isn't it cave in the bad he's distant sky when she's getting coffee the first time really the the emotion that went into that loss was so much more than in the Wheaton version oh yeah you didn't yeah. feel that loss there at all and obviously I think events in Snyder's life has influenced that greatly yes. right and I think as well it reflects the pandemic and everyone's loss I think there was. There was something extra in there that you felt like everyone's mourning someone. Kind of as a, a mirror image that the whole world mourns Superman, but she's mourning him as Clark. Mm-hmm. And we've all lost something because of the pandemic, but it's down to an individual that we've lost that, that we really feel it more than a global thing. So, And, what we've... and I just think there was a lot of weight and power behind that. Absolutely. Yeah, we, and well, and there's more. I mean, and it follows up even more when you've got Ma Kent driving up to, you know, the farm, and she sees her son again, and like we're instantly we know, you know, Superman's basically saying like, you know, yeah, I'm back. It's it's me, and uh, you know, they all hug each other and everything. But he's like, they brought me back for a reason, and there's like this kind of like understood moment here where they realize he just came back, and they might lose him again. They don't know. And there's like, but like Ma Kent isn't like saying like, well, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta stay here. I don't want to lose you again. It's, it's understood that, that he's, he's come back for one reason. This is his purpose. And, uh, even though she's scared that she might lose him again, she knows that her son has to do this. And I just thought that that was such a, a more powerful scene than yeah. anything that we got in the Whedon version. Yeah. Cause in the Whedon version as well, she's, she goes to his grave and then the next time you see her, she's almost chatting happily in the lunchroom yeah. with Lois. Yeah. It's almost like this isn't the same person that's mourning a son. She's being very like, oh, well, you know, the bank kind of wants me anyway. It was very mm-hmm. – it was almost a blasé treatment of how she was feeling, and it was – it didn't gel at all. It was really well, badly done. And there was the thirst, like part of the yeah. dialogue, thirsty or hungry, and then in the background, there's the the news where you could see like the news ticker is like – aliens abducted my husband or yeah. so it's it's like you you have elements of that scene in the 2017 that are trying to be dramatic 
but also trying to be funny. Like, and that's not cutting back and forth. Like that is literally in the same scene where you have too many things like vying for your attention. Yeah. The drama and the comedy. And I, it's just another aspect of the, of the Frankenstonian uh, mm. nature of the movie. It's like even the scenes themselves or even the scenes individually can't make up their mind what they're trying to convey. And none of that with this, like, and when, you know, when Martha Kent came back and they were in the field, um, uh, that was so genuinely moving for me. Like, cause I'm, we're also, uh, I, I, once again, I'm trying to separate my feelings about like the characters and the movie. Like, okay. So when the trailer for Batman versus Superman came out, I knew he was going to die as soon as I saw doomsday. Yeah, and I thought, oh shit, already. And of course that happened. And it's like Batman versus Superman was part two of this, you know, wider universe. Do you really expect us to buy it? Like, of course he's going to come back in in the next film, or the next film to take place in this particular continuity, not including Wonder Woman or Suicide Squad, etc. So when Lois and Martha are seeing him again. It, they really, really sold it that like, oh, my God, he's back, even though I, we already knew he's coming back. We've seen it in the last version. We knew that, you know, in the promo, we knew that that was coming up. And yet I still felt so moved. But I'm seeing three people mm -hmm. come together. They did not. The characters did not expect this would ever happen. To them, he was dead, and it would be just as likely for them to see to expect to see him again as it would be for anyone else on this side of reality. And yet, the 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 relief, the excitement that they see, like come here, just grab him, even though we're watching it. Like, yeah, I knew Superman was going to come back, but it's like even then, it still got through to me, and it was, and you know, the butterfly on his fingers and like this, you know, this, I guess the trend, the symbolism of that. It's like, even though there were parts of this that we already saw in 2017, even though we know this is a movie and we knew the promo material, it still felt so real. Like this was what, what we felt was what the movie was trying to get in us. What about and the, I, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what about the restraint of Lois basically not telling him that she's pregnant? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene, man, it, I totally echo what you say, dude. It was, I mean, being a simple farm boy myself, um, just one of the bits that I loved was Clark just um, grounding himself, like touching the plants. And being out in the field, and then his, the fa and then his family coming out, it was. It's one of the like most awesome things about the character is he's an alien for fuck's mm. sakes, but he's so just like Brian said earlier about like Batman saying that he's more human than I am. That scene like is like the epitome of those uh, of the, those words that they said in the Whedon version. It's just you know this this man standing in the field with his you know wife to be and his mum and just the, the embrace and the son. Oh, man, it was glorious. Well, what about okay? Glorious. Let's talk about black suit Superman and let's talk about oh, yeah. <laughs> hearing mm -hmm. the voiceovers of both his Earth father. 
and Jarrell, his Kryptonian father. I, and then hearing like the Hans Zimmer Man of Steel score and I'm sorry, I got all the feels. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Got all the feels and we finally got to see the black suit and it was it was glorious. It was it was awesome. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I loved it when he showed up in this version. Um, you know, in the last version, Steppenwolf just comes down with the axe and starts to, you know, fuck up Cyborg. And in this version, when he lays down that axe, Superman intercepts it. And he says, not impressed. And he fucking <laughs> uses his, uses his cold breath to just destroy the axe and then just goes on a tear, kicking Steppenwolf's ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was brutal. So yeah, that part brutal. was awesome. Just alternating between beating his face and heat visioning him. It was amazing. <laughs> Burning away the armor. I mean, you he guys... cut one of his horns off. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's what he was doing, wasn't it? He was like, whacking him and then he would like heat vision to try and strip away his armor is that what he was doing or was he just fucking going to town and just beating the shit out of him he was just going <laughs> ham to town <laughs> it was it was basically the whole like this is the moment that you and the mother boxes have feared this entire time yes you couldn't <laughs> stop it yeah. This moment has arrived. I am it's Superman. I'm fucking you up. Yes. <laughs> Dude, it was, I, I tell you what, uh, one bit on a more sort of technical side is, uh, the restraint that they use for the music, uh, for the Man of Steel theme throughout the film. You just got the two notes, the doom, doom. And then it wasn't until his return that we got the crescendo during that fight and fuck me did i feel that that music was just like oh in those moments why did why did why did danny elfman feel the need to use the john williams score when evil superman was destroying the memorial yeah that was a bizarre music choice right it didn't make any sense to me it's not like i don't like that music but it was just no, so yeah, he's, he's, he's swinging at Flash, destroying the memorial that they've erected for him. And we hear the, the, we hear the John Williams Superman score in that moment for a split second. I'm like, why? That's just, that's just dumb fan service that's not working as fan service. None of us fans wanted to see evil Superman and have that music play when he's trying to destroy the Justice League. What, what, what are you thinking, Danny Elfman? Weird. I I think that was a stu. I, I'm not sure, but I think that was a studio thing. It had but, to have been because. And, and again, this is this is exactly why you don't try to course correct mid movie. You get decisions like this, and the same thing with the with the Batman theme. Um. So so there's musical cues from 89's Batman from 78. Superman, they're they're not used very well, completely unearned, mm-hmm. um, and it has it had no emotional resonance. and And I feel like of all the times for for the 2017 version, it's like that would be the last place that you would put that particular theme. And yeah, yeah, weird, really weird. I'm I'm very glad we got to see. Flash shit his pants again in that scene. That's, that's yeah. one of my favorite moments. Yeah, that was fantastic. 
I, it's still a great moment. I love that 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 when he's got his like legs stretched out right before he's gonna fucking you know go into like super speed. I just love the look of Flash in that moment. I think he looks so cool. Um, let's talk about Dark Side. Dark Side is something new that we can talk about. This was mm-hmm. completely left out of the Whedon cut. What did you guys think about? I got like during I was so happy to see kind of like his um, uh, Omega blast. Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) We only got to see it the one time and it wasn't a dream sequence. But my God, seeing that Omega blast on the screen just looked so amazing and so iconic. I loved it. And his eyes were steaming. Yes. Because he was underwater. Yes, exactly. Uh The Omega blast was vaporizing the water as it went. Mm -hmm. It was fucking awesome. Oh, so good. That was such a, that was a fist pumping moment for me seeing that. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they did it. We get to see it. Cause if we don't get this next movie, this is our only chance to get to see that. And I was super happy that they fucking threw that in there. Cause that's so iconic of the character. Yeah. I, I actually, I never watched any of the trailers for this at all. I wanted to be completely surprised. And <laughs> I've watched this with Kat, and it was to show you how, you know, what, what a great film this is, it, because she really enjoyed it as well, and she's not into all this sort of stuff. Uh, but when Darkseid landed on Earth in the, you know, in when um, Wonder Woman was telling the story, and I just went, I just, I didn't look at Kat, but I just went, those crazy bastards, they fucking did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have like, yeah, a lot of people are comparing it to Lord of the Rings and stuff, which I get, I do get that, yeah. you know, that similarity yeah. and stuff. But fucking hell, like seeing him jump out that ship and smashing the anti-life equation into the ground and uh, you see Wonder Woman's dad, you see Zeus there, you know, the guy who's charging up his arms of fucking Hadouken in people with lightning. Yeah. And Ares is there. And then we've got the Green Lantern as well. Um, I can't remember who that is. Last name's Gurr or something, apparently. So like 2,000 years ago. But I love seeing, like, it was like uh, Darkseid grabs for the ring and then gets struck. Yeah. And then the ring takes <laughs> off. I loved it. So good, yeah. Not for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. And just, you know, again, just, I like, that was like one of the first points of the, the film where like the theme, one of the main themes kind of came across, like about like unity and that sort of thing, everyone coming together. That was, it was, it was fucking cool. I think cause... that, I think that Lantern could have survived if he would have created a Hot Wheels racetrack. <laughs> to battle dark side no cars he didn't know what he was doing i know that was one of the worst a horse. that was one of the worst parts of the whole did you guys hear about ryan reynolds doing a, a screening of green lantern yeah. I, I gotta check out what his tweets were they were they were like talking about like some of the best you know tweets that he put out there while he was doing that live watching i gotta see that no, the last thing I heard from Brian Reynolds is that him and um, Rob uh, McElhenney from Always Sunny bought a football club out here. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, they're great seeing the awesome scene, seeing Darkseid like properly, uh, even in that flashback scene. Fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. Jake, Shit we've been waiting for for years. Jake still wants yeah, justice for that. Jake still wants justice for that photo of uh, Clark's father. 
<laughs> I'm just saying that's disrespectful, man. If, I, if I'm buried with something and then you dig me up and you just throw that thing into a fucking dirty puddle, I, I'm gonna be pissed when I come back. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kay. I cut you off there with something stupid. No, no, that's fine. It's um, I was gonna say it, it also hints as well at more stuff when Doc says we'll just have to do this the old-fashioned way. So mm-hmm. I feel mm. like. That's a hint at something more that Snyder wants to do in the universe, too. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, it, it, it all comes down yeah. to the anti-life equation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, him, him getting the get, getting uh, taking over the anti-life equation. Yeah, yeah. I really like Dark Side's relationship with Steppenwolf. I thought that they played that really well. At first, he was like Steppenwolf wasn't even worth like talking to, but then once he realized what was going on, he's like. All right, Steppenwolf, I'll give you a chance. And then by the end of it, he was like, I knew you were a loser, Steppenwolf. Yeah. (laughs) You've got this, you've got Desad in there saying, no, you've got to take over 50,000 more worlds before Darkseid will even give you an audience with him, you know? And it reminded me of like, I kept thinking of like the relationship between Starscream and Megatron. (laughs) Yes, yes. Totally. Very apt. Uh, I I really loved this movie, guys. I really loved it. I really did. I had a blast watching this. I think like, I think the action scene at the end of the movie, though, and a lot of it was the stuff that we had seen in the Whedon cut. It, it just it felt like they were more working as a team. Um, it it, it just hit me that much more. It, it, everything just hit me that much more. I love seeing them all working with Bruce. I love. I even liked. Aquaman calling Bruce crazy for like what he's doing because Bruce is a fucking madman in the Batmobile. I mean, just going around cutting down fucking parademons, man. I love the way the Batmobile moved. And yes, I'm more of a, I'm not a big bat tank kind of guy. I, I do like a sleeker Batmobile. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing like the Matt Reeves version of the Batmobile that's kind of like a muscle car. I'm really wanting to see this stuff, but man, I, I did. I, I did appreciate the Batmobile scenes in this. I, I thought that they were fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that. A lot of things kind of hit home a lot more in this version. Like when Batman said that he's going to draw the paradigms off, and it doesn't matter what happens, stick to the plan. And I don't know what it was. If it was the music, the lighting, whatever it was, but you knew that he was essentially going on a suicide mission, and he knows that he isn't the most important part of that team. His job was to bring everybody together. And he didn't expect them to come and save him or anything like that. He wanted them to do their job and fucking get in there and take out Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just thought that it, a lot of it just had so much more weight. And the stakes couldn't be higher in this movie. I know, just coming off of, you know, Endgame and stuff... Yeah, we had like Danos and all the rest of it, and but but I don't know. It just it, it never hit home in the Whedon version, and in this one, it really did. It was just like shit. And even <clears throat> even though we have you know Earth Mightiest Heroes and everything, it was uh, they they fucking lost at the end. They actually lost, and and it wasn't until Flash. And it, this was just... I couldn't fucking believe they did this in this film. Mm-hmm. Flash turning back time to fucking make the plan happen. I was just blown away at that scene. It was it was like... It, it was... <clears throat> it's like what happened at the end of Endgame. 
but in you know the third film in the in the DCEU. It was fucking crazy, absolutely crazy. I mean, it was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it, but I just couldn't believe what I was watching. And I I liken this film to a live action version of the DC uh, cartoons. You know, all the movies they put out and everything, all the amazing animated movies they put out. That's what this reminded me of because I love all of those and I love like Flashpoint Paradox and, you know, just it's, and that's what this was. It was just like these, like um, some of the greatest characters that have ever been created in this genre and just doing their absolute utmost and showing us all what they're capable of and that that bit with flash was just fucking amazing like yeah. the ground forming underneath yes. his feet as he turned oh my god someone else talk the, the way cry. that they did that dan when you just brought up there how the ground was forming under his feet as it was hitting it and it's mm-hmm. like he was running so fast he was in the speed force he was running backwards in time and it's like that reality was it's like he was like touching that reality just one footstep at a time as he was just going further and further back into it. Just the way that they did that was perfect. And like, I, I did not see that coming in, you know, it's got a little bit of the same effect of, you know, how is a speedster getting hit by bullets <laughs> or yeah. any sort of blast? <laughs> but I mean, it, it worked really well with the story and, yeah. and the way that he kind of had to t- tell himself, you know, we're going to do the thing that we, you know, we're going to break the rule. You're not supposed to break. And, you know, it worked, and I was almost expecting him to accidentally time travel earlier in the movie when he charged up the cube. Like, I thought that that's when he was going to jump forward and and see some bad version of the future and then have to reach back and and, and talk to Batman and stuff, you know, a la BVS. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised that they didn't do any of that, but then when, it, when he did it again at the end, I was like, okay, is that when it's going to happen? And, you know, it still didn't, but I was kind of expecting to see more ramifications of him running back. And, you know, if they're still going to pull forward with with Flashpoint plans in the future, you know, I wonder if that little bit of tampering with time in this movie is going to play into that or not. Or, you know, if they are just going to let this be separate. Yeah. It, well, I mean, yeah. Is this canon? Right. Exactly. Yeah, is this a great canon? question. They should. I mean, just based yeah. on, a, on on response alone, it's like, yeah, get rid of the fucking Justice League and <laughs> make this one the real thing, and, and give us more of it. Well, I mean, look at look Rad. at look at what some of the look at what some of the big movies that have come out recently have done. And I'm not saying they've all been successful, but look at what Halloween did. They basically did away with the sequels, and you know, same thing with the the latest Terminator movie. You know, they basically Terminator one, Terminator two are canon. And, and I mean, they could do that here, I suppose, but man, it really, do you think Warner brothers is going to basically kind of like, you know, admit that's what it comes down to now. Now, now like the pandemic changed everything they, you know, and and with, with uh, this movie coming out and, and them wanting this, this movie on their service to get subscriptions and, and, uh, but to take it one step further where the studio is going to basically, it's not like they're going to say like, yes, you know, we were wrong, but they could in a way say that if they're like, well, the Whedon version is not canon. We've now, we now, uh, are going to make the, the, uh, the Snyder version canon to what's, what's going forward in this universe. 
Or they might just completely go back to saying we're just doing individual movies again, you know, and it's not all going to tie together, blah, 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 blah. After seeing this, I think they need to take the Marvel approach, and you have uh, Snyder Cut Justice League Season 2, and he already broke it up into an epic with parts in this movie. You release a part for six weeks, and then you do that. Give him the same budget. He's not constrained by time because you. I can like. I'm wondering if Batman versus Superman would be a better four hour six part movie if he got to put everything in there, but without any meddling from the studio. But I mean, give him give him the ability to use the HBO Max to you know, fully put out his image. I mean, his vision out there. I see exactly what you're saying, but see, the problem still exists. Like, is this going to be canon going forward for everything else they're doing? I mean, they could follow this up with like another Snyder, you know, like depending on the success of this. And like, that's been a big push online is they're saying, if you want to see more of this, watch this movie the most that you can over the weekend. You need to keep watching it, keep watching it. They're looking at these numbers. They're looking at the subscriptions. I mean, Money talks. Money talks, guys. But do we want to, though? Because, I mean, look at Suicide Squad, this kind of the first non-Snyder movie to branch off, and things already went horribly wrong with that. I mean, I would say, you know, you've got the Batman movie coming up. I mean, have the Snyder, the proper Snyderverse be, you know, the HBO Max canon. And then whatever Warner Brothers wants to do that would be theatrical release, just let it be its own thing. I mean, uh, we're already used to having the CW universe, have the Snyder universe, and have the DCEU. Are we confusing fans, though? And here's the thing. I mean, it's like you're going to have actors that are involved in two separate projects. Well, if we go forward with the next version of the Snyderverse – we're going to see some of these characters, you know, come back. We're going to see Ezra Miller come back in the Flash, but we're also going to see Ezra Miller come back in his own Flash movie if we do it this way. So when do you? When does it? They're either going to have to shit or get off the toilet and let us know is this canon or not canon? Because I think it's well, what's, it's going to get super what's confusing. What with Henry Cavill done? Right. Uh, oh yeah. He's he's done. No. Love that guy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, he's pretty much all but said he'll never do Superman again. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, what? Uh, so, as far as the Flash goes, because isn't isn't that like the next thing that's kind of slated to be made? Is that yeah. right, Flash? Yeah. So, I mean, however far along they are with that, depending what happens, could they make that and have like Snyder on as a consultant and then try and like link it in to what's going on. I'm assuming they're going to do flashpoint. Well, because... we, we know we're getting, we know we're getting Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck is coming back. Yeah. We're going to have two Batman on screen. So, I mean, I think it's just going to be another way for them just to jumpstart the universe and start over from scratch. Yeah. Do you think Snyder would even want to come back at this point? This had to be a really like, both therapeutic and traumatic experience for him to revisit this. I mean, working on Justice League was what he was doing when, you know, the unfortunate stuff with his daughter happened. I'm sure it, it, this gave him a lot of closure finishing this project. It, maybe he's just done with 
DC movies in general. Like, it might be a hard thing for him to come back to. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, whatever he wants to do, basically. It's up to him. You know, I mean, they made a buttload of money for charity during all this stuff, and the, the you know, the Snyder Cut fans got what they wanted, and as far as most of us are concerned, it was fucking epic. And I was the last person, aside from Jake, I was the last person to think that I was going to love this. And it just it just smashed all of my expectations. So the fact that it's doing so well and it's even turned somebody like me into a fan of the Snyderverse, maybe this same thing will happen across like the rest of the planet and me might think about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the love that he's gotten from the fans and the social media exploding about this film and hopefully the money that it brings in he might want to carry on and i mean yeah but it doesn't it doesn't answer the the henry cavill question either no it doesn't yeah. just give that guy more money i mean <laughs> he's clearly sensible he hasn't got a twitter account so uh, if you just give him a shitload of money then um he'll probably do it but you know he's uh yeah, I don't know, man. It, it, it's a strange situation, and it, it's it's odd because it's all from all this this fractured business stuff, and it's very strange that nowadays a lot of the things that happen outside of the the actual making of the film that, that affect the actual outcome so much. It's a really weird time to be a film fan. There are, I mean, and Jason, we kind of talked about this in uh, in a Facebook message. You sent me a link that Screen Rant had, and it, I guess it's from the Vanity Fair article about like what. Zack Snyder was wanting to do with the next film, had it come out. Um, I yeah. also, I was on Reddit and there was somebody on Reddit that posted over a month ago, um, what was going to happen in this movie. And they, they brought up the fact that, you know, Lois was pregnant and all this stuff that we're going to see in this movie. And then they said in that, um, yeah, here, I've got it right here. It was a user on Reddit that uh, they said Zack Snyder's Justice League Part 2 full plot breakdown. Quite a few people on the development roster have their hands on this. It's a pretty old plot breakdown of what was supposed to be Justice League Part 2. I think it was written back in 2017 or 2016. Cannot share the original document, obviously. Legally okay, legally okay to share a paraphrased version of it, though. Anyway, you can read it here in full if you want. Spoiler warning with an asterisk. If Justice League 2 happens, it can be exactly like this. Or I don't know what has changed in the last four to five years. This came from Reddit user Stages of My Life. And it basically starts off with the defeat of Steppenwolf. Um, Darkseid orders Desaad to ready his armada for an attack. And it, then it goes into like the whole story of like what would have been possibly the original version of this movie. It doesn't. A hundred percent line up with what you sent me, Jason, from that Vanity Fair article, which is it's quite different. So I don't know which, which ver- I, I would, of course, I would take Zack Snyder's quotes from the Vanity Fair article as fact, but he might have changed the story. I, so, and if anybody wants to know what the Reddit version is, just send me an email, Brian at popcultureleftovers.com. Just title it. Uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League 2, and I'll send you what this Reddit poster. I'm not going to go over the whole thing fucking here, but it does have to do with like Lois's pregnancy and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think the story may have changed <laughs> since then, Jason. 
Yeah, and, and it'd be tra- I'm, I'm interested that he's he was even quoting and sharing what he was going to do. It makes you think that maybe he is done with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Why, why would you share your ideas like that, especially with the reveal in that Vanity Fair article of what the plan was for their kid? Um, you know, that kind of shocked me. Like, okay, why would you share that? And there's a possibility you might make this. You must not want to make it. And you, and I could see him putting it out there where no one else could take his ideas and try to do it also. Mm-hmm. Like, go ahead and kind of tainting the milk where, you know, I'm not going to make ice cream with it. No one's going to make ice cream with it. Yeah. Yeah. He's putting it out there. What he basically said in the Vanity Fair article was that the plan was for the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane to take on the mantle of the Batman. The child's name would be Bruce Kent. And he would not have any of his father's powers. The scene would take place in a flash forward years on years on in the future when Clark and Lois take their son to a familiar location and ask him to take on the mantle of the Dark Knight. Snyder said it was going to be Lois and Superman's son 20 years later on the anniversary of Batman's death. They take young Bruce Kent down to the Batcave and they say, your uncle Bruce would have been proud if you did this. And so (laughs) that sounds batshit crazy, too. (laughs) <laughs> wow that was his idea that was movie. his idea yeah yeah oh that sucks no <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> jesus christ that's why in Take the, the money away what the, the fuck are you playing at the reddit the reddit version is so much better <laughs> if you read the reddit version that was supposedly leaked by this uh this reddit user so yeah it falls the, the, that original leak falls in line with more of like what we saw in in this movie Bruce Kent. Bruce Kent. <laughs> maybe he's just Funky Bruce. Maybe maybe Zach's just fucking trolling everybody at this point. I hope so. Woof. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, have we said everything that we want to say about the uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League? Any final thoughts from anybody? Yeah, just that the music was so much better. It was um, much better. Yeah. It just emoted everything so much better. It I was, agree. Yeah, I mean, just all, all around, this was just a much better movie. I mean, I, I I think for the longest time when I've been talking about Justice League, I've been saying something along the lines of the world deserves a good Justice League movie, and and they got one with this. I mean, this yeah. is fucking beautiful. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to, to be a Tupperware, to be perfectly honest. I, um, I agree, a hundred percent. I went into it, it with no expectations. So I hear you. The, the, <laughs> The biggest thing was I wasn't rem- I didn't I completely forgotten about the Superman mustache thing until one of my friends asked me like three days later it was like well was it still there and I was like I'd completely forgotten that there'd been a controversy in the first place so mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah virtually all the garbage is gone yeah you know yeah. It, it, they just kept the good stuff and beyond that they 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 showed us all the stuff to like earn the the good parts that were in that original movie so i mean just mm-hmm. in every in every way i i wish we could just make yeah. the other version go away <laughs> this yes. is the only yeah. one the world knows about <laughs> i never want to take the original version away it's one of the handful of movies that i gotta sit next to brian live and in person and watch and i will i will never give away us cracking wise at that movie live and in person for the first time <laughs> yeah i bet that was a treat man <laughs> <laughs> Philip, man, you got to win, dude. How does it feel? Uh, 
you know, I feel like part of me was just like, well, now what do I do? Um, <laughs> I kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it felt like such a, a, like a personal and social accomplishment. Um, and I kind of felt similar after Endgame. It's like, well, now where do I, like, what do we do now? Um, you know, also considering how the movie ended with that, with that flash forward, I'm just like, at this point, so before it was just like, I hope, I really hope we get a sequel. And now I'm just like, we better get a fucking sequel. <laughs> uh, with that, with that cock tease of an end. Um, well, there you go. That's your next campaign. I know. Well, yeah, I actually, speaking of which, I have changed my, my Twitter banner. And so now I've, I've gone from hashtag release the Snyder cut to hashtag restore the Snyderverse. So mm. I, I, I was guess, hoping for hashtag restore my blue balls. <laughs> I can make I can make that trend now. Yeah, J- um, you, you should see Jake's. It's hashtag restore that photo of Paul Kent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this uh, on on the show. I'm totally surprised. I I came prepared for a Tom and Jerry review. Oh, oh God, no. I refused. <laughs> Philip, I refused to watch that movie or even talk about it on PCL, dude. There is no way. Uh, and we, no, I, uh, no. We, I, we all enjoyed this movie. We all enjoyed this movie. So, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so happy to talk with everybody. I, I'm shocked at the ratings. I'm shocked at the ratings. I thought, Dan, I thought that you were, gonna be a, a lower in your rating a little, a little a little cynical bitch like i normally am yeah it was it was you know it was on the cards i'm not gonna lie dude yeah. like, i went in, I went in expect, expecting nothing absolutely nothing and but i love it despite what fucking people say about me i love these characters and i love film and i love this art form and snyder fucking killed it and it doesn't matter what I think about, you know, well, a few things that he's been doing or has done. It doesn't matter because he fucking killed it in this film. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I'm man enough to say that this movie is a fucking Tupperware because it is. And that's how much I enjoyed it. That's awesome. It's fucking epic. And the fact that maybe cry twice shows you that. <laughs> That it's gonna be good because <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it made me feel something, and that's that's what good art does. It makes you feel, and it was just yeah, fucking awesome. Oh man, I just, I'm just so happy that I finally got to see Black Suit Superman. I mean, oh yes. After 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 it was they, everybody was denying it, denying it, denying it, and then fucking Snyder starts releasing photos, and I'm just like, oh fuck it, it's it, it's it's real, and we got to see it, and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, Henry Cavill seen, posted sorry. the first picture of it on his Instagram while it was being filmed, so like back in 2016. Mm. So we knew, like, it, it was it was very hard for anyone to believe the studio when they said no, it was never in there. When again, Henry Cavill was posting it during production, like the I, I think it was like the first time he wore the suit, and it was the close up of his chest. So we knew from the beginning that the black suit was in there in some capacity. And then, of course, when that didn't happen, we were just like, what the hell did you do? So it's, yeah, it's, was, it was just 
uh, amazing to finally see it, especially because we knew it was always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we got to see him listening to the the voices of his fathers mm-hmm. flying into the atmosphere, being silhouetted in the black suit by the sun, and then fucking diving down and fucking Stephen Wolf up. It was amazing. It's awesome. It, uh, was there an end credit sequence? I heard Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah for the 800th time in a Zack Snyder movie and just instantly turned it off. <laughs> Zack Snyder doesn't do the post-credits, Jake. You should know this. Oh, yeah. Everything was included. I, I Everything was uh, yeah, included I, in the movie. I checked. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I That's one that thing time. I really appreciate about Zack Snyder. <laughs> I know. We all know, Jake. <laughs> we all know. I read the, the Hallelujah version, which is Alison Crow was actually uh, Autumn's favorite song. Yes. Yeah. And Crow actually performed it at her funeral as oh, well. Wow. Which is well, now I feel like a big oh. asshole. <laughs> you are a big asshole. Jesus. Ouch. No notice. Dude, I it's okay, Jake. I'm one too. It's fine. You settle down. Don't worry. It's not, it's not my favorite version of Hallelujah. But, and I was a bit like, oh, not sure about this. And then read off about it and was like, yeah, I'm being an asshole too. So, you know. <laughs> He's, Lots he's of ourselves on this show. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least three of us now. It's like Spaceballs, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Find out that Kay, Jake, and I are all related. <laughs> asshole, her. Asshole's a major asshole. <laughs> um, I like fucking six beers. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Where can we find everybody? Joe, where can people find you, sir? Yeah, you can find me on Starkcast, a long-form conversation podcast, or Number One Comic Books, a podcast that reviews Number One Comic Books. <laughs> or if you're into uh, zombie stories, I have an audiobook available uh, called I Become Death, and it is available on Audible, Apple, and iTunes markets. That's awesome, man. We got a fucking author. Narrated by Joe himself, too. Yes. yes, it Worth took me a long time. <laughs> Fantastic to rub one out to, let me tell you. <laughs> I, that's the highest praise I've heard yet so far. <laughs> if I can get that in Needlepoint, please. <laughs> if it's not Aquaman's sweater, it's fucking Joe Stark's voice with this guy, I'm telling you. Oh my yeah, God. combine the two. You've got a party right there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, man. Jason, where can people find you, sir? So I host the podcast, Fanny the Geekdom, where I interview fans of different geekdoms uh, and um, just talk to some very interesting people. Um, It's wherever you find your podcast and uh, where you can go to our website, uh, ftgpod.com. Awesome. Uh, Philip, people can, you know, you're not on a podcast regularly, but people can find you on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, SnyderCutJL214. And the 214 is because the original cut was two hours and 14 minutes, which is how I knew it was three and a half hours. So, yeah, SnyderCutJL214, um, and that's on my Twitter handle. Dan West, man, where can people find you, sir? I don't want them to find me. <laughs> Social media is a disease. Leave me the fuck alone. Dan West is off the grid. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Brute Force and Ignorance D&D actual play podcast uh, we play with lots of my buds and uh, it's fun and funny and if you guys like D&D check it out, Brute Force and Ignorance and Kay, where can people find you? 
Um, you can find me in the uh, on the Army Facebook. Um, I'm K New Zealand on Twitter. I'm still currently writing my podcast, so I don't have one yet to um, sort of uh, advertise. But I often write reviews for EasternKicks.com, which is for um, East Asian cinema. And oh my god! And you got the coolest job ever. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> we I saw that you were. Co- I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to deny. It. I have a cool job. It's not the coolest job in the industry. It's a cool but job. I have a cool job. It's a cool job. And 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 I saw on Discord you posted that you got a credit on the uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I worked oh, wow. on episodes one and five. So that is yeah. awesome. That is awesome. So, I'm so you you know if it's Mephisto or not. <laughs> I don't know a thing to be honest. We often we just get sequences and it's so often unrelated to anything. You just see them fighting or something and you have no idea of all the exposition and the talking that goes on around that. So You heard it here first. We're gonna see some fighting in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Woohoo. <laughs> now I'm really gonna feel like an asshole when I complain about visual effects in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everybody for joining us on this episode. I had a blast. I know that's going to, man, it's going to piss so many people off that we enjoy this movie as much as we did, but you know what? We just, we're coming out here with our honest reviews. So I want to thank everybody for everyone's thoughts. You guys did a great job and I really enjoyed talking this movie with you guys. And just like all good leftovers say on their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Actually, we'll see you with the Falcon and Winter Soldier review. See ya. My man. Love, love, love. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless. But I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before And we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap! Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, can't erase it, let's embrace it, Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carryover, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. Have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and we're the shaft crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, hate erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushover, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say it's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Pop culture leftovers 
eternity. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers.